Hello and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 91. Let's roll. And rolling into the NBA Finals is where the hell we're rolling. This will probably drop early Friday morning. So tonight, game four in Boston, we got to go up 3-1, put this uh, Draymond Green out of his misery. But we're not going to talk about the Celtics today. That's not a basketball show. This is a dynasty fantasy football show. And nobody wants to hear just one mass hole talk to someone really smart about the Celtics. That's just torture. So we're not going to do that. But I am so excited to have my friend on the show today, uh, returning champion, the true returning champion. I say that every time someone returns, I say the returning champion. So that's getting a little, that's getting a little thin, but the true returning champion, the nomad on his couch, the man with no, no home, Josh Larky joins me today. You can find Josh on Twitter at J Larky tweets, Josh Larky, formerly of player profiler. My friends over there, Matt, Matt Kelly, etc. But Josh is up to some new and big things, like sitting on his couch doing podcasts. Josh Larky, what is going on? Scott, Jax, it's good to be here. I'm excited for this. And yeah, kind of uh, like what you were saying, I've actually been in the desert for the, the past week. I've been traveling by camel on this nomadic journey, as you called it. Uh, fortunately, I found water this morning, so my voice is all ready for this podcast. Oh, excited God. to be here. And you sent me just an absolute animal of a show sheet. It's time to wrangle this animal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Once I get going, you know, these California edibles, man, you you start, you know, you sit on your couch with one of those and a and a show sheet. And next thing you know, who knows what you're talking about? So we're gonna see where this long strange trip takes us. But I think it starts with some fun stuff that we'll get to, but I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. For those that don't know you, uh, they're crazy, but you've just done such amazing work. Uh, I remember, you know, I was sort of in the space when you got in the space and I remember a lot of people weren't sure exactly what to make of you. And, uh, as it turns out, you're a brilliant person, a very kind person. And one of the people I'm very, very proud to know, and even more proud to call a friend, I just wanted to say that because we're going to talk all sorts of stuff, but the real shit, you're a really great person. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. I think that's one of the cool things about this space is that not only, I mean, it's, you have that, that easy low common denominator of we work in fantasy football. We talk fantasy football, always easy to do, but it's always cool. when you can relate with someone on a deeper level as well. And I know that we have that connection. Yes. We, we, we could talk about something that's not strictly football related and that, it seems like we just share a lot of common goals and in life and how we want to conduct ourselves. Yes. So it just makes it even easier to come on the podcast and want to talk with you and just t- take a couple hours on a on a Thursday morning and get yeah. this thing recorded. Well, you're 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 a connector of people, I think. You know, you 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 are an honest person who, you know, you helped grow my relationship with Matt. And I am grateful for that. You know, um you, you just have done that on on many occasions. I've seen you connect people and grow relationships and and so you deserve everything you get. And, uh, you know, I'm pulling for you in all ways. And I know you're going to be announcing, you know, some some future moves, um, but all in due time. But speaking of future moves, you and I do want to be able to tell the future here. And that's where the show sheet starts or that's where the show starts. I mean, 
don't tell the people there's a show sheet, okay, buddy? Um, but basically, what, what <laughs> you know, I mean, it's supposed to be like, hey, look, guess what I just thought about talking about? Off the cuff. Yeah, dude, this is all fucking riffing. Um, <laughs> that's why the people love me. I'm, I'm unscripted. I'm fucking off the charts, you know? But honestly, you know, we do want to be able to tell the future. And I've been thinking about one spot that really gets me thinking, and that's Cleveland. Because... The Deshaun Watson news, I mean, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk about the Deshaun Watson news, you know, because it's uncomfortable. And I get it, man. It is kind of uncomfortable. I I don't know what the hell to make of it. But all that aside, some shit's about to go down with this motherfucker. And there's a ripple effect to that. There's a ripple effect that's very, very large. Because if this guy plays, you know, 17 games, Deshaun Watson, that is. There, there, that's a that's a big difference than if he doesn't, right? I mean, a big difference to Watson's value, a big difference to the skill positions on Cleveland. Let's just start with Deshaun Watson. Based off what we're hearing, what we're seeing, what do you think the future is for him, and how do you see this playing out? So before we, we talk about kind of his dynasty value and stuff, I think we're in agreement here. I mean, as a human, he's totally a piece of shit. We can get that out of the way, but I think it is important because – this is a, it's a dynasty podcast. We all, I think we should talk about it because he is, believe it or not, the guy does score fantasy points when he's not being a horrible human off the field. So I, I, my, my take on this has kind of been that you do not want Deshaun Watson on your team right now, not just because he's a terrible person, but because once the suspension hits, his value is going to go down. Yep. I mean, unless he gets suspended for four games or two games, then sure, maybe the value stays the same or goes up a touch. But what what I've seen recently, it's going to be at least half a season. It could be a full season. I've even seen speculation. It's going to be two seasons. Right. And to me, that just seems like, all right, well, if I look at his current price, it's kind of baked in that he's only missing a few games this year. Yeah. So then anything on top of a several game suspension drops the price. Yes. So to me, if I'm doing this purely based on value, I don't want him on my team right now. And if he gets hit with a two year suspension, and it's a, a deeper dynasty league, I'll be like, all right, just give, give him to me. And he can just sit sit on the bench and that I'll, I'll acknowledge that he's terrible as a person. But if we're playing strictly the game itself, yes, he is very good at scoring fantasy points. So that's kind of my take. I don't know where you're at, but I just don't want him right now. I think there's yeah. just no way that the value goes up. I bought low um, last year in spots where I could. And, you know, I just sort of uh, didn't want to be too aggressive because, you know, there was always the other shoe that could drop. But in the spots where I have them, I feel good about having them. But now there's been another, you know, case. There's like a little bit of scuttlebutt about whether or not Cleveland could void his contract. And, you know, there's there's now a little bit more smoke. And that is disconcerting. And as you put it, I think his current cost is assuming like a six game to eight game suspension. That's what his cost looks like to me right now. Cause if, if he were to be losing two years, he, he would cost much less. You're right. And if he were missing no games, his value would be up there with, you know, the top five, uh, you know, dynasty quarterbacks and he's not there, you know, he's not there. So I think it's a good time to sell because he's still sort of top eight dynasty quarterback, uh, especially if you're sort of counting on him. So I totally agree, but I think that, you know, even if we assume, okay, it's at least six to eight games, but there's chances that there's some more nefarious shit that'll come out and who knows what, I mean, it's not going to be two or four games. I just can't imagine it uh, after all this, you know, um, all, all this word. So that brings us to the Baker Mayfield, Jacoby Brissett. Well, Baker Mayfield was just allowed to not even go to 
these OTAs. So he's not even there. He's requested a trade. He's basically out of the picture. I'm sure he'll be moved at some point. I would have to imagine, you know, Seattle, Carolina, whatever the case might be, you know, quarterback X takes an ACL at these OTAs, whomever, right? So Mayfield goes someplace soon. That means Jacoby Brissett uh, steps up. I think the values of Mayfield and Brissett, well, and I've been saying I bought a lot of Brissett. So, uh, but, you know, I think that's where there's probably some opportunity because if Brissett plays the entire year, I mean, you could do worse. Yeah, he's an interesting one because I was doing some Browns projections and I was trying to weigh. All right, let's say that Watson misses half a season and kind of what those first and second half splits are going to look like. So there were a few things going on. One, I was shocked at just how bad Brissett is for fantasy. Not not really him, but how he hurts the receivers, how he hurts the team. He operates these these slower offenses. The pass attempts aren't really there. The the yards per attempt, his actual efficiency is terrible. Yes, he's kind of like the worst version of Tyrod Taylor in a way. Where correct the the one thing you can say is that he's not slow and he doesn't turn the ball over very much. Which I understand that's how this guy gets opportunities is the team goes, you know what? At least he's not necessarily going to lose the game for us every single week. And that the the turnovers will be minimized. But I, I think he just crushes everyone around him. For him, yeah, I agree. Himself, just as a singular asset, I'm still not that interested. Right. Unless it would be like a start three quarterback league. And I, I understand that there's value in having someone who is a starting quarterback, but I mean, we we weren't starting Baker Mayfield. Even right. in two quarterback leagues, for the most part, the past couple of years, Brissett's going to be worse. Yes. These are not great skill players to help out a quarterback throwing the ball. So it's not even just like, oh, Amari Cooper might be hurt because of Brissett. It goes the other way, too, where Amari Cooper is not a number one in an offense. Right. He's kind of like a, he's best utilizing like that 1A, 1B role that he had with CeeDee Lamb. Or when he was in uh, with the Raiders and it was, what was it, him and Crabtree, kind of 1A, 1B. I think that is more where he is best utilized. So, And there ain't it, no 1B. No, it is just a stinky situation. Yes. And honestly, there, there's really only one player that I even would consider targeting in Dynasty in this entire Browns pass attack offense, everything. And that is? Well, I, I, I didn't want to steal some... Oh, okay. Some future talk. Oh, I see. I see. You can get into it if you want. No, no, it's it's down there. Well, let me say. Let me say it this way. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say we can just let the audience marinate on that one. Yeah, marinate. We'll we'll come back to this. We'll come back to this. Yes, marinate, marinate, continue to marinate. Um, You're right with Brissett. He's not uh, prolific at all, and he's going to slow down the offense. And he's going to really. That was really the next question. Was sort of he's going to make everybody else be awful in that offense, which leads me to the point that it's like all these players are like arrow down I mean Chubb and all these guys because you know Nick Chubb yeah he might get a few more rushing attempts but that's not necessarily what we're looking for we're looking for touchdowns you know especially with a guy like Nick Chubb because he's not going to win with targets so they'll probably be losing I mean this is just an ugly situation Baker on the other hand I'm not sure you know he's he's pretty inexpensive now too and I'm not suggesting that he's going to be good like even with Brissett like I I tried to uh, foist Brissett onto a couple of Watson owners where I've got him, and I'm like, hey, you know, Brissett, and they're like, they just don't even engage. I'm like, I don't know, man. I, I would at least sniff around because it's not like I'm going to be asking for a lot. It's not like I'm like, oh, 23 first for Brissett or something. I'm like, you know, a couple thirds or something, you know, like just trying to get something back for him so that they can have him. I mean, it seems like a nice spot. If I own 
Watson, I'd like to have Brissett as, you know, sort of the, the backup in a deep dynasty league. But in any event, so that's what made me think that Brissett was so cheap is that nobody's looking to pay for him. So maybe someone would be willing to sell cheap too. But I know that sometimes that dichotomy is, you know, the price tags when you're selling are not the same as when you're buying. That's kind of a, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's an all things, you know, I'm selling my house. It's worth a million. That thing ain't worth a million. Right. Yeah. Anyway. So, right, so I pulled up uh Brissette's stats from 2019. Oh, when he was with the Colts. Don't scare it's, everybody. It's before Jonathan Taylor. So this is before they had, they clearly have a better option to run the ball with. This yeah. is Marlon Mack time. Brissette averaged 196 pass yards a game. Yeah, that's not good. He had 6.6 yards per attempt. That is truly awful. Yep. He only threw four, six interceptions in 15 games. So yeah, this is, you're you're getting really bad Tyrod Taylor. Right. And I think what that's what about rushing of, per game? What was he that year? I'm not looking at it. Let me, let me find that again. He had 228 rushing yards across 15 yeah. games. So he was averaging 15 yards a game. That's yeah, just not, not quite going to do it. No. So that's kind of, I think, a good uh, analogous situation to Cleveland, where it was a good offensive line. They did not have great pass catchers, but it it was on paper not a, a not not a dreadful offense. That yeah. there were there was something around him, and that the offensive line was the strongest part of the offense. I think yeah. that's what he's going to have in Cleveland, and that's that's kind of why I worry is that we we could be looking at sub two hundred passing yards a game, and that I mean Brissett's giving you twelve to seventeen fantasy points a game, and that. It's it's better than not having the super flex, better than not having a quarterback in the super flex spot. Correct. In a two QB league, mm, that yeah. I, I would I would definitely aim higher. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just one of those things. I always like to have three quarterbacks, and so if you have three, and maybe it's like you know you've got Watson as one of your three. Well, now all of a sudden, I wouldn't mind backfilling with Brissett to have him. That way, That's I at least one. have one of them. But but I'm with you. It's not worth having. You know, Amari Cooper. I feel like if with this news starts to slide down my rankings as well. Uh, you know, there was some hope for guys like Donovan Peoples Jones, who I really like, but in, with Brissett, no, thank you. I mean, he's not even close. Uh, I don't know if this is maybe the guy, but Njoku, you know, just got paid. And, you know, if I'm thinking about who he's going to throw to, it's going to be closer to the line of scrimmage, not down the field to Amari and DPJ, um, it could be a guy like David Bell. I think Joku and David Bell don't really lose value. If anything, maybe gain value, but not Amari and, and DPJ. What are your thoughts there? So I, I, I like Njoku. Just uh, he, the guy got paid. He's been efficient when called upon. He just hasn't been called upon consistently. Now it looks like he's going to have clear opportunity. So I, I do like him. I think his cost is starting to fully encapsulate the the extension how he is the entrenched starter the one guy i was hinting at before was david bell yeah because i think david bell can be a quarterback's best friend and i i know there's people out there like what are you talking about the guy ran a four six blah, blah, blah. all right if we just look at i think probably the two closest comparables if you just look at college profile it would be keenan allen and jarvis landry guys that are running both of them were actually slower than david bell but it's two guys that were prolific producers in college. David Bell was averaging 100 receiving yards a game across his three years at Purdue. He, yes, because he doesn't have that long speed, because he ran a 4.65, he's going to operate as kind of a big slot closer to the line of scrimmage. I mean, Cooper Cup ran in the 4.6s, if I remember correctly. Obviously, Cooper Cup, pretty good game speed. David Bell, not as much. But it's the general idea that this big slot can just be so good for a quarterback, especially someone like Brissett, where 
We know that he's not working through his reads as quickly. And if you just want someone who's going to be able to get open and has a history of doing that, which David Bell does, the guy does get open. I mean, it, the people acting like he just won't be able to get open in the NFL, I'm like, well, he was getting open constantly since his freshman year in college. I, I don't have too many concerns there. And I think that he he could be a sneaky option, especially in PPR leagues where he's just getting peppered in that offense. Because <clears throat> we even saw Jarvis Landry when the, the passing offense would be terrible. Odell would often suffer. Jarvis was the one that would often come through with the, more of the fantasy points. I think he even led OBJ in fantasy points per game during their, their cross tenure in Cleveland. So for me, David Bell is the one I'm targeting. He's still relatively inexpensive. You can still often get him kind of early second round in your rookie drafts. Yeah, easy. That's just a, that's just a great price for someone that, I mean, if you look at his contract, he's a rookie. He's going to be there for four years. So whatever happens with Watson, there is going to be overlap. So even if, I mean, are you really drafting a 2022 at the 202? Are you drafting someone that just has to go in your starting lineup from day one? Generally not. No. So that's why I think with David Bell, it's just perfect. You know you're going to get Watson throwing to him at some point. You know he's a part of their future because they just invested a third round pick and he has this incredible profile outside of his testing numbers. So for me, he is just the screaming buy in this offense. Yeah, I agree. We, you know, um, Chalk got me back on David Bell. I was I faded David Bell way, way too far in 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 the rookie class after the testing, just because I was like, oh man, I'm, am I looking at a Kelvin Harmon situation? And you know, just you know, we've seen this before. Big college producer who just you know the NFL hates outside winner. You know, not going to be able to do that in the NFL. Bigger, stronger, faster defenders, yada, yada, yada. Going to get played outside, off the field, late round draft capital, yada. We've seen it. I was like, oh, forget it. He's off my list. And I just sort of moved him so far down that I would never get him. And and then, you know, Chalk brought me back with, wait a minute. No, that's not what this is. He was drafted in day two. He went to a, a spot where he could easily be the wide receiver two on his own team. He's going to be tethered to Deshaun Watson. He had amazing college early college production he's like scott he hits every one of your you know anatomy uh hit points except for maybe a couple but he's really right there he's the guy and it's like yeah that's probably true he probably does check more boxes than i'm giving him credit for and i was sort of double counting the athleticism in my head it just really it was an emotional count and it's probably not the way to go but he does scare me a little bit obviously in a run first offense with, you know, right. I mean, if Brissett's playing, all of a sudden it's like, geez, Louise, this could be, this could be bad. But I agree with you in the second round, you, you know, that's probably exactly where he is. And um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big David Bell fan, but that brings me to this then David Bell, as much as you like him, David Bell or Jalen Tolbert in dynasty, sir. So this is an interesting one. I'm actually going to go back to what you said a second ago about how it's a run first offense. Yes, it's a run first offense this year. However, Chubb and Hunt, they are not young guys. I'm not convinced that this is a run first offense going forward after this year. Yes. Because the Browns, they they are an analytical organization. Maybe too analytical, the way that they just uh, jumped on the Deshaun Watson signing so quickly, <laughs> purely based on the numbers. But they they maybe so maybe you could say they are analytical to a fault. I think what they realized during the Baker Mayfield era is that they would actually be more efficient running the ball. That is why they have been so run heavy is when you have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt as your running backs, you have this incredible offensive line and you have Baker at the helm. It makes sense that you would be run heavy. Switching over long-term to Deshaun Watson, 
maybe they are still run heavy. I yeah, I don't know, but I don't think that it's a certain it's a certainty long term. So I, I think for David Bell, I'm going to knock him a little bit for this year, but I don't want to knock him too much long term because we just don't know. Right. With Jalen Torbert, though, one thing we do know is that the Cowboys play fast. They are not a a heavy pass rate offense, but because of the play volume, because they've run over 1,100 plays in back-to-back years, which the Kansas City Chiefs cannot say, right. because the Cowboys just jam play volume down your throat. Even last year when their division sucks, they're playing backup quarterbacks left and right. Like they had the Trevor Simeon game. They they were just going, they, they played Taylor Hineke over and over again. They played like Mike Glennon. They were just playing the absolute worst teams and pummeling them. The defense was just bullying them around and they still had ridiculous play volume. Yeah. I think that is what I would cling to with Jalen Tolbert in terms of the, the Bulls case for him is because he's probably more of a field stretcher. He could be yeah. a, a moderate volume field stretcher. He could be like Donovan Peoples-Jones. Yep. I think that could actually just be like a really nice comp for him would be like a DPJ yeah. where he can get you a 15% target share. And you go, wow, you know what? I could start that guy in fantasy sometimes, but I think he's probably more of a best ball play long-term yeah. and that if you're in a best ball dynasty league, Tolbert is great. If you are just in a managed dynasty league, I still give the edge to Bell because for me, it's easier to build the case around how this is just the next Jarvis Landry. Yeah. And that the next, not not necessarily like the next Keenan Allen. I mean, that would be there's there's only been it's one Keenan a Allen. A bridge too but it, far, but, but yeah, yeah but no, like that I mean, kind of idea. We yeah. know what the archetype looks like. Yeah. There's just not a lot of fantasy relevant guys with the Tolbert archetype. Agreed. And that's kind Agreed. of what worries me. Is like, yeah, maybe you're like, oh, Landry and yeah, Keenan Allen's optimistic. Yeah. Okay, well, can you at least give me an optimistic comp for Jalen Tolbert? And that's what that's Michael what Gallup. Me. Yeah, maybe it's Michael Gallup. I honestly, I just he, he profiles so closely to Michael Gallup. Like, just next time you're playing around, just like look at Michael Gallup, everything about him, and Jalen Tolbert. The only difference is Jalen Tolbert was more productive in his offense, but he did play for South Alabama, so that stands to reason. They're both drafted by the same team uh, in the same round. So I, I really think that Jalen Tolbert and Michael Gallup have very, very similar. Uh, prospect profiles. And and I think that's what they see. You know, they're like, okay, we lost one of our outside guys and Amari Cooper. The other outside guy is, is hurt. Uh, and who knows when he'll be back. Probably pup, probably week six, seven, eight, nine, somewhere in there mid season. And we have CD lamb who we'd like to play as often as we can in the slot. We picked up James Washington who, you know, I mean, you know, <laughs> right. You know, it's like that doesn't change your fortune. So I think they really saw Jalen Tolbert and, and saw an Amari Cooper, uh, Michael Gallup sort of type of player that can play on the outside, stretch the field, but can be effective and, and win contested catch and also, you know, uh, cover the intermediate routes as well. So I think that's exactly what they see in Jalen Tolbert. The thing about it is like it doesn't take long. So you mentioned the, the, the fast play rate for the Dallas Cowboys, which is 100 percent true. They also were leading. They had how many pick sixes, right? Like they had so many possessions stolen from them by their defense and had so many possessions on offense where they were leading. So yeah, they did skew, I think a little bit more run heavy. I think they do have a desire to run the ball. I agree with you, but in general, I think they, you know, and you could probably tell me I'm wrong with the stats, but I think I'm right that they were leading more often last year than, than, than they typically will be because of those turnovers and pick sixes. Whereas this year, you know, just sort of natural aggression should make them in somewhat more competitive games and hopefully um, trailing more often where that fast play will lead them to more pass attempts. Well, they leads them to more pass attempts with fewer pass 
uh, targets out there. No Amari Cooper, no Gallup. Now all of a sudden it's CeeDee Lamb and Jalen Tolbert's competing for targets against uh, James Washington or whomever the fuck else they've got, you know, Semi Fahoko or whatever, right? Uh, Noah Brown, right? So I know, uh, you know, Schultz will be getting his, who's a, a screaming by as well, but I think Tolbert can have a huge year one. And what I mean huge, I just mean, you know, 800 yards, six touchdowns, like, you know, a, a, a marked uh, rookie season where all of a sudden his value goes up because he's on the field. We see him making big plays and that's where you can then flip him for, you know, some sort of future first or something. Whereas David Bell's start may be a little bit more scattered with the likes of uh, Jacoby Brissett trying to unlock him. Yeah, I like that Michael Gallup comp. I hadn't Thanks. heard that one. I think that's a good one. Thanks. But still, Michael Gallup's had one really good season. I agree. <laughs> He's and, a I mean, scary player. So so I that's that's why to me I would still lean Bell, but I I I like Tolbert in dynasty as a singular asset, because I do think there's so much opportunity for this year. Yeah. So if we, if we now remove David Bell from the equation, yes, I think Tolbert is someone that you want. It's because let, let, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this way. If David Bell and Jalen Tolbert switched teams, who would you like? They switched teams. Yeah. Uh, still David Bell. I would want David Bell so much more. I mean, part yeah. of the Jalen Tolbert love is like this this situation too. Like, right? I mean, I just think there's so many pass attempts. It's like you do projections. I mean, they have to go somewhere. I'm not saying, you know, we we, we understand they're earned. You know, it's not like, oh, he's going to get 150 because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not how it works. You know, it's more likely there'll be five guys that get 50, you know, as a put, right? But I, I understand that. But there's still ample opportunity. And if he ends, my point is this. If David Bell is awesome and Jalen Tolbert is awesome, they're both, let's just say they're both top 10% wide receivers in the NFL. I want Jalen Tolbert. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, know what, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think with him, yeah, what his path is, I think people are actually being overly optimistic with the Michael Gallup recovery timeline. Yeah. I, I don't think he plays the first half of the season. Yeah, I'm with you. Because A, just him recovering, and then B, I think the Cowboys are good enough that they, they can tread water in their division and probably be in first or second place by the time he returns and maybe just be a game back or maybe be a game up in the division. There's not really an incentive for them to rush him back. Right. Like you said, it is, it, it seems to me it is pretty clearly Lamb, target option one, Schultz, yes. target option two. Yes. And then I don't think you can go to, you can't really go to James Washington. No. Maybe you say that they increase Pollard's role Yep. which I could, I could hear that out. Yep. However, he's still yet to crack a 10% target share in, in the NFL. So it seems to me like Tolbert would, he's also a receiver and running backs. It's just always a dangerous game to assume that this is yeah. the guy that's going to suddenly get his 15% target share. It just rarely happens. Rarely happens. Whereas with yeah. a receiver, 15% happens all the time. We talked about it before. Donovan Peoples Jones, like a sixth round pick field stretcher, snuck in 15% of the Browns targets last year. Yeah. So I think if Tolbert can get 12 to 15% of the targets in year one, he could end up with seven to 800 receiving yards just because of that offense and the play volume. And because he is going to be a downfield that that's going to be his role. He had 17 or more yards per reception, his final three years in college. This is a field stretcher and maybe hopefully a, a moderate to high volume one. Yeah. And Jalen Tolbert, you know, going off at wide receiver 66 on underdog in best ball, that feels like a smash. Don't you think? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. The way that I view it is 
Gallup goes too early. Tolbert goes too late. Yeah, because why? I think they should be going really close together. Right. I, I mean, because Gallup's going to miss four to eight to ten games. I mean, somewhere in there. I mean, he's not going to be ready week one. I, I mean, if that happens, I'll just be stunned and amazed. I just don't even, I don't even think it's possible. I think I've heard some of these doctor, you know, Twitter doctors who are actual, I guess, doctors or whatever, but they've kind of put him at week eight, nine, somewhere in there. I mean, I believe that it sounds right. I mean, you know, it just doesn't make any sense that he'd be back at any t- any point sooner than that. And that just, why would you draft? It's like Godwin and Gallup being drafted in these best ball leagues. I, I just could not spend a premium pick on those guys. I've got uh, a good he- dichotomy for you. Go for based it. Based on underdog ADPs. So we think, let's say that Gallup misses eight games. I think yeah. that's probably likely. Yep. He goes at like pick 110, if I remember correctly. Okay. DeAndre Hopkins, who's only missing six games, goes at like pick 80. How yeah. are these guys going anywhere remotely close together? Correct. I'm not necessarily, this isn't necessarily me saying like you need to draft Hopkins at pick 80. It's Correct. more just if we look at that, something doesn't add up. If we know it's only six games for Hopkins and it's not injury related, so we can be training the whole time. Yeah. But it's probably eight games for Gallup and they go only like two and a half rounds apart when we know one has uh, like kind of a wide receiver, one caliber ceiling. The other no guy's doubt. ceiling is probably low end wide receiver too. There, there's certain times where I go, all right, I understand we're taking injury stances or games miss stances, but can someone square those two with me? The Hopkins Gallup, it makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, no doubt. I saw that too where Hopkins was going. I'm like, that's pretty good value. It's like the Hopkins, Michael Thomas section there of when you're drafting, you're like, God, these are great best ball picks, you know, because <laughs> like their ceiling is just unbelievable, especially. So yeah, I'm with you 100%. Uh, speaking of risk reward Zeke Elliott so I have made the case on this podcast many a times that Zeke is a value because of his contract and because of Jerry Jones loving Zeke and Dax being his best friend and like he he's not going anywhere unless he can't play I think he was hurt last year he had the knee a bulky knee that was just you know now maybe it's a, a, a something that carries over maybe he gets hurt again this year I get all that but if he's healthy, which is a big if, I'll grant you that, he's being drafted uh, at RB16 in best ball, which I think is fair. I don't, I don't think it's unfair, but I think it's a good value. And I would ask it this way. What do you think is more likely, that Zeke is a top five running back this year or he falls outside the top 24? So I, I think this is such an interesting question. So I... I, I've waffled back and forth. Yeah, I know. Part of me really does not like Zeke this year because he looks like the quintessential dead zone running back where he's getting older. He has very, very questionable talent at this point. Yeah, he's that's been right. very inefficient. And I, I, you know what? I, I understand he had the MCL uh, injury last year, but that doesn't really explain the two years prior to that why he was also pretty inefficient and routinely outplayed by Tony Pollard. I don't necessarily think rational coaching is going to come into play. I think Zeke is going to have far more touches than Pollard and it's going to be a really good offense. So I, I don't think Zeke has this colossal bust potential, which I, I think makes him a, he's kind of a safe pick. I think in best ball where the guy just doesn't really miss games. I mean, last right. year, even when he's, when he's injured, he doesn't miss games. There's some safety there, but I, I really don't see the ceiling because <clears throat> he's so inefficient and I think that there's just a lot of worlds where Pollard's role increases again because it's gone up pretty significantly all three seasons. So I think I would have to lean outside the top 24, mm. but I think they're both really unlikely. I just don't think there's any chance Zeke can be a top five running back. 
at this stage of his career and with what I think should be a worse Cowboys offense than last year. I mean, we shouldn't un- like understate how important Amari Cooper is. Yeah, we're talking about Amari Cooper on the Browns. It's like, oh, I don't know if that's the best wide receiver one you can have. But in terms of just a general real-life NFL football offense, having someone that can separate the way that he can and can get yes. open at all areas of the field. Yeah, we can nitpick for fantasy that he doesn't have the yards after the catch ability and that he's had some durability issues. But when he's on the field, the Cowboys are a much better offense. Without him, I think they're going to take a significant step back. So for me, I think it would just have to be that I just go outside the top 24. The case for that is Pollard's role increases once again. This Cowboys offense is just not as good as we were hoping for and that it is heavy play volume, but most of Zeke's touches are concentrated between the 20s. Yes, he ran a ton of routes last year, but he just doesn't get targeted. His target share was barely higher than Pollard, even though he's running two, three times as many routes per game as Pollard. So yeah, I, th- I think RB6, he's probably going to finish RB16. Yeah, and, right. and that's why I haven't drafted a ton of him. Is I just no. I like drafting yeah. the guys that have a little more upside for me. But what I've said is, if you're going to draft Zeke, make it some hyper fragile build. If you're doing that on underdog at RB sixteen, take four running backs, and he's a pretty safe bet to give you something. And that's how you should structure the team around getting your ten to fifteen points a week from him, as opposed to, <clears throat> oh, this is this could be league winner Zeke. What a, he's got this crazy range of outcomes like. I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire has a better chance of finishing as a top 10 running back than Zeke. If if I'm just thinking about range of outcomes this year. So to me, there's just a lot of ways to build a case for someone else. So I'll go outside the top 24. But as you can see, like it's, I, I really think he is going it's to finish. Tough. Like He's going to be an RB too. It's going to be right tough. there in the points yes. per game. And, and here's the thing. I think, I think the answer is outside the top 24 because of the risk of injury and missing games, right? So that would be the, the pathway. But if you told me that he is the, the a model of health, I would say top five because of that offense, not because of his skill set necessarily. But, you know, if you tell me that Zeke is healthy for six, 16 to 17 games, then I think the answer is top five because there's almost zero chance he's not a top 24 running back if he's healthy for the whole season. Injury and sort of all these nitpicky things is what takes him out. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's why I said it's just, it's really hard to see either. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, I, well, I, having I really think like, honestly, I think RB like 13 to RB 20, he's in that range. Yeah, having said that, right? We know that there this is going to be a high-powered offense. We don't see the ceiling with Zeke. But Pollard, I mean, if we knew that Pollard was getting, if we knew Zeke was, you know, t- popped his ACL and out for the year, the answer for Pollard is that he's almost certainly a top 10, if not very close to a top five running back because he's just so explosive, which is kind of crazy that that's just the way it goes. But as it stands, does Pollard have standalone value in this offense if nothing happens to Zeke on a weekly basis? Obviously, on a best ball basis, of course he does. I'm just talking in a weekly basis. So I, I think he does. He he had over a thousand total yards last year. He just didn't have a lot of touchdowns. Right. And I think that in this kind of offensive environment, the touchdowns will come. And that you just want the guy that's getting the touches and getting the yards. I think he will have some type of value week to week where he's I think he's going to be getting 10 touches a week. Maybe more. Not just because that's what he did last year, but also Generally, when you have star receivers like an Amari Cooper, someone that was the lead target getter per game, when you have that that caliber of player who then exits the offense and you don't really backfill it with something other than a third round rookie in Tolbert, 
and James Washington. Yeah. Generally, the running backs get some more targets. And I know that there have been studies on this where quote unquote vacated targets go to the running back, but I've thought about this intuitively and I think I understand intuitively why that makes sense and why that happens. If you have overall worse receivers and that uh, there maybe every single like, so last year, Amari Cooper's often getting the best cornerback on the team. Now the best cornerback on the team covers CD lamb. Jalen Tolbert, if Cooper was there would have gotten the third best cornerback but now he gets the second best cornerback for the first half of the season and all of a sudden you realize that guys are struggling to get open because the defense is playing them differently and if the receivers fail to get open it makes sense that the quarterback doesn't see anybody open and checks it down to the running back so i've always thought like that needs to be talked about because people always just go all vacated targets it's going to go to this receiver without really thinking through that kind of thought experiment and then it helps you make sense intuitively okay, I understand why when there's vacated targets, the running backs get more targets. It's just because the receivers are worse and they're not getting open. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And as a matter of fact, so you you drop back, you look down the field, and even if you think he may or may not be open, if you think, if you're Dak and you think Amari may or may not be open, you might let it go. If you look down and it's semi Fahoko, you're like, uh, Tony Pollard. You just check it down. You know, that, so it's also that earned target thing. It's like, you know, you see Amari Cooper out there like, fuck yeah, dude, $100 million dude. He he better come down. I, I trust his ass because he's paid to be trusted. You know, and that's just how it goes. I mean, you know, every quarterback will tell you that, man. You have a rhythm and a, and a relationship and you see someone down and you're like, I know my boy's going to get it. Whereas the new guy, you're like, not so sure about this motherfucker. I'm going to just check it down to Tony Pollard and get eight. So yeah, absolutely. That's how it goes. And so I think you're right. I, I, what I think is the false narrative is that Tony Pollard's going to play like the slot. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he'll play some, some wide and slot here and there, but he's not going to be the fucking slot receiver. So get that shit out of your head. He's just, you know, it's just not going to happen. That's, that's not happening. Well, yeah, it seems to me like if it was going to happen, then it would have already started to happen. We would have seen at least some type of, I mean, they had to know what was coming with the Zeke contract, with the Cooper extension. Yeah. I mean, they knew that the core was it was going to get worse at a certain point. And if they really wanted to prepare for the future and thought Pollard was the future slot receiver, he would have gotten some reps out there last year. Yeah. He, they just generally don't, though. Like, yeah. That's the I thing mean, is like running backs, so you know, few snaps I forget who area. did this, the research. They're like, yeah, that's a fallacy. It just doesn't fucking ever happen. So it's just not true. Like, so, you know, mm-hmm. but so every every week on this show, I, you know, I have to talk about like Gabe Davis and Cortland Sutton and CD lamb. And, you know, here we are CD lamb. Now here's the thing. CD lamb. I've, I've got him posted up as like my wide receiver three in dynasty. I feel really good about that, by the way, I have no issues, but I think there's kind of a big tier there. Uh, but when you start to make a case for anybody else, but him at wide receiver three, there's always a way to poke holes in it. So I, I, I get it. It's not like he's like, for sure that guy but when I see him at wide receiver six in underdog it makes me feel a lot better because it's like if he has that type of season my goodness he's definitely the wide receiver three in dynasty hands down the question I have is you know at wide receiver six in redraft or in uh best ball is he worth that so that's an interesting one. I initially came into this when I started drafting and I was like, that is disgusting. Why is CD lamb that high? This is just, this is egregious. It and then feels I did egregious. My actual, then I, I did my player projections and it started to make more sense. Yeah. And it's because of this Dallas offense, they just run so many plays. And 
I think we should expect a step forward from CeeDee Lamb in terms of not just the target share, but his targets per route run. And on top of that, I think there's going to be marginal improvements to the targets per route run, which will help the target share. He hasn't been a full-time player yet. Right. He's going to be a full-time player this year. I mean, if, if CeeDee Lamb is not running pretty much 100% of the routes, they're fucked. Like it would, <laughs> right. If, if CeeDee Lamb's not out there, you really think that no matter how much play volume you have, you can't overcome Dak throwing to Jalen Tolbert and James Washington and Simi Fajoko. And, and Noah Jones. Brown. Don't forget Noah, Noah Brown. Brown. Yeah. yeah. You cannot overcome that. No. I think he's playing pretty much every snap. Yeah. His route his route share hasn't hasn't been super high. And I think that's why the target share hasn't been super high either. And that, yes, Lamb isn't some absolute target monster like a, like the Justin Jeffersons of the world where you go, oh, wow, this guy, no matter what, he's hyper-targeted on the field. But when I did my projection, CeeDee Lamb doesn't have to be hyper-targeted to nope. still get massive volume. I yep. think in my first run-through, I had him... So we had about a 20% target share last year. I think when all was said and done, I had him around 22, 22.5%. He just hits... 150 targets in almost every single scenario that way. Yes. And that's when I understood the wide receiver six, because that's not really him taking a step forward at 22 and a half. That was me being conservative. That was me just saying the target rate will stay the same. He's just going to run more routes because he'll be on the field more, which I think is guaranteed to happen. Correct. And that if if you don't think it's going to happen, then you can't be in on the the Cowboys offense. You shouldn't draft any of them. Like I said, if you think it's going to be the, the Tolbert, and James Washington show for 20% of the, the snaps, g- goodbye. Right, so all fucked, I, exactly. Yeah. I, w- I walked through that and went, all right, now let's say there is some type of improvement and that he commands more targets just naturally on top of running more routes. Then suddenly, if you think that there's any potential for 24% target share, 25%, I think it's not the most likely scenario. But it could happen. I mean, the guy was at like 18% as a rookie, 20% in year two. That That's pretty good company to be in. We, we've Damn seen right. an improvement there. Yep. So if he's suddenly a 24, and, and, 25% and He's 18% and 20% with a $100 million player on the field and Amari Cooper and him being a 21 and 22-year-old rookie and, and second-year player. He, you know, here's where the math comes from. It's pretty simple. Look, he got 111 and then 120 targets in back-to-back seasons, 21 and 22 years old. At 23, with Amari Cooper leaving town and projected more pass attempts for the, the the Cowboys. But even as you say, if you don't project more pass attempts, but you just project him to be on the field a little bit more and his same um, target percentage, which is not target um, share, his target percentage. In other words, the, the target percentage is how often you're targeted when you run a route. And then your target share is how many of the overall targets do you get in an offense? Yeah, it's got to, it, even if you just keep him static, but just play him a few more snaps, it's going to go up. And if it just goes up to 130, which I think is very low, it's like he's going to he's going to hit, you know, 80, 90 catches and 11, 1200 yards and eight touchdowns, which is pretty comfortable back end wide receiver one. But the upside of more is there. So, yeah, he's been super efficient, you know, back to back seasons of 66 percent catch rate, his yards per target right around nine. He's been just great. Um, you know, he's scored a few touchdowns. I think the touchdown upside is also there. I don't think there's much touchdown downside. I don't think there's any way he ends up with like three or four, you know, so everything just sort of shows that he's going to be, he's going to be pretty darn good. And with an upside of, like you say, if you start penciling him in for 25 or 26%, which is not like this Michael Thomas, 30, 32%, it's just 
you know, if you if he gets that twenty five percent and that pass heavy offense, and he's still efficient, yeah, it could be a big season for him for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at this point, I'm in on Ceedee Lamb. I, I I've been drafting him a decent amount in my when I've done my underdog rankings. I I think I, if I remember correctly, I was a one spot ahead of consensus, which is actually huge when you're talking players at like the one two turn. So I ended up really liking him, which I didn't expect to do because I was very hung up on how his target share and his target rate were good, but they weren't anything ridiculously good. But then I dug in more and I was like, all right, he wasn't even running the full amount of routes. So this target share really isn't fully indicative of what 2021 should be. Yeah. What's possible. Yeah. I think, I think he's a, I think at this point he is, he is someone that I want on my redraft and dynasty teams because I don't think he's fully priced in with what could happen. He, he could end up being, like the wide receiver three in football this year overall. And then you realize that he's 23 years old and that he just put up a high end wide receiver one season. Right. And it's like, Oh wow. Yeah. He is, he is the clear wide receiver three and that there's chase and Jefferson. And then it's not even that big of a teardrop to see right. lamb, but then there's a big teardrop to everybody. It else. could happen. That's right. Right now there's that sort of muddled three through who knows what that's like, hey, I'm not sure if I like cup or, Debo or T Higgins gets some, you know, AJ Brown, of course, is awesome. You know, there's just a bunch of guys where you're like, oh, I like all those guys. You know, Devontae, Tyreek Hill sort of mm-hmm. falling back because of age, whatever. Uh, hey, if I told you there was a 25 year old tight end last year who got 104 targets, 800 yards, and eight touchdowns, would you be interested? I know where this is going. I'm I'm interested. <laughs> Tell me more. Yeah, the, this uh, this fella named Dalton Schultz also might see a tremendous amount of you know sort of deferred targets to him. As you know, look, he went ninety and one hundred and five targets in back to back seasons. Um, you know, you kind of have to pencil him in at a hundred f- for a floor for targets this coming season, assuming health. And what's the ceiling there? I mean. 110, 120, 130. I mean, that seems like way too much, but it's not crazy. If he sees 100 to 120 targets in this offense, you know, what's not to like about Dalton Schultz? Anything? So this year, I, I've done a lot of best ball. He goes quite a bit later than someone like Kittle. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of prefer Dalton Schultz to George Kittle this year. And I know that sounds crazy to people, yeah. but then when you realize the guy's 25 and that I'm already thinking I might prefer him for this year to George Kittle, I'm not saying him over Kittle in Dynasty because I think this is a transition year with Trey Lance stepping in at quarterback and that there's going to be very few pass attempts in year one with a new quarterback. But just the general idea of, all right, if we have someone that's mid-20s and I'm already thinking about how I might actually kind of want him over Kittle straight up in redraft. Right suddenly it's like, well, why is, why is this guy like, what is he? I've seen him as like tight end 10 and dynasty stuff like that. And I go, Oh, well, actually, I think I really, really want Dalton Schultz because yeah, this, I think he, I know where this question, I, I, you're, you're pre-answering the next question, which I love. This is great. Yeah. I, I think he should be the kind of in that tight end five conversation with Kittle where yeah. I, I do think Kelsey Andrews, Baller Pitts, they, they're, they're ahead for this year. And I think you can also make some dynasty cases that what what they have shown and their upside is just ridiculous. Yeah, in terms exactly. of the the potential target earning potential. <clears throat> but then you look at Kittle and you're like, well, he doesn't always run the routes, but the, the target rate is just ridiculous. And he's just a singular talent as a tight end. We just hate the team. We hate the role. 
Yeah, a little dynasty. John hey, Schultz, like check, you check love this out though. The role. Check this out though. A little dynasty game theory mm-hmm. 101 strategy. Uh I, I'm a, I'm gonna swing this by you. Tell me what you think. So sometimes we get a little too locked into age in in dynasty, and I get that. I do too. Um I want to move those younger players up because I want a long career. We do this at wide receiver, especially because wide receivers have these long you know, dynasty curves where they really stay productive over a long period of time. Generally, you know, from 23 to 28, that five-year window is pretty awesome. Running back's a shorter window. But here's the thing with tight ends. They might have a long or a short uh, window because they're a little bit more random. But what I really think the value of, of tight end is in any format is ceiling. So really what I'm looking for is ceiling. Uh, for tight end because at tight end if you don't have one of the top ones it doesn't matter which one of those next 25 motherfuckers you have they're just sort of eh whatever you know so all you're really looking for is a like a a wide receiver number at a tight end position and so I think age gets taken out of that equation a little bit more for me because how many years do you really think whomever your favorite tight end is is going to be good anyhow you have no idea but if I know I've got one or even two years, one or two years of ceiling from a player, I'm just going to put him at the in a, as a top five dynasty tight end because that's good enough. So that's where Kelsey still stays there, even though he's 32. It's like, would you rather have one or two years of Kelsey or the career of Mike Gusecki? It's like, well, fuck it. I don't give a shit. You know, of course, I just want one year of Kelsey. I'll just, you know, then I'll, because I can replace Gusecki with whomever, you know, commit or whoever, right? So, you know, so that's, I think, where it comes from for me. The only time I I, I will look a little bit different is if I look down in those, uh, you know, next 20, 25 tight ends and I see someone like George Kittle after his rookie year where I'm like, oh shit, there is ceiling available with this motherfucker. And that's where you move him up. Which brings us to the sort of conversation about Dalton Schultz where it's like, look, he's going to be, like, like you're saying, this next year, he could be a top five tight end pretty easily, which makes him pretty close to a top five tight end in dynasty because what the hell else are you looking for? And he's 25. So to me, I love Dalton Schultz. I was going to ask you the question. Who Look, right now, Dalton Schultz uh, on keep trade cut, which I like. I like them just because it's more crowdsourced. It's not like my rankings or whatever, your rankings. Uh, Pat Fryermuth is tight end seven. Dalton Schultz is tight end eight in dynasty. Who do you prefer? Yeah, so this is exactly what you're talking about. I, I can't imagine taking Fryermuth over right. Schultz right now. Yeah. And it's because with Fryermuth, even long term, what what is the upside here? Right. Do we Kenny Pickett's gonna need to be really freaking good because Deontay Johnson's there, maybe he leaves, maybe he gets extended. Who knows? There's Chase Claypool there. They just drafted George Pickens, they just drafted Calvin Austin. Najee Harris commands some type of target share, it seems, because I mean, wow, they they really spent a first round running back or a first round pick on running back. And it turns out that the grinder back they hope they were getting is actually kind of a slick receiver. I mean, <laughs> you sort of lucked into that one. Still a horrible pick, but at least at least he's a pretty good receiver. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out when, on, when on this, the plus like, side, though, he's gaining weight. So we're, everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. So like I'm, I'm, try, I'm thinking through this. I'm like, OK, but when when do we get 22, 23 percent target share Pat Fryermuth season and he's getting 120 targets? What what is that? Is that in a is that after Deontay Johnson leaves? Will that have to be after Chase Claypool leaves? Do we need George Pickens to bust? I'm like, wow, there's just a lot that needs to go on right now. Whereas with Dalton Schultz, you go, okay, let's look at this year. He is the clear number two in an above average offense with ridiculous play volume. 
It is just right here on a silver platter. Yep. I understand that there's draft capital with yes. Friermuth that Schultz doesn't have, but at this point, why would I care about that when I have NFL data that shows me that he's done really well with the Cowboys and he's probably going to be there for the next three, four, five years. And I, let me run a, so it seems like we're probably in agreement on that one. I'm going to run a yeah. dynasty trade by you. Cause I think that I think very similarly, I, I I'm in an FFPC tight end premium league. Okay. I traded away Hawkinson, Miles Sanders, and I forget which year, a second round pick. Okay. I did this early in the off season. So I got rid of Hawkinson, Miles Sanders in a second, and I got Waller in a third. And to me, that felt like a smash because I don't think Hawkinson and Waller, you can compare them because yes, who's going to score more fantasy points rest of career? Hawkinson. Hawkinson, but right. Yeah. I just don't understand where this elite ceiling from Hawkinson comes from, especially when this was pre-draft. I figured they'd take a receiver, but I was like, all right, we've got Amon Ra, we've got Swift. They, they're bringing in DJ Chark. Like it's clear, like they're always going to want to have more guys here. Maybe Hawkinson's target getting potential was best at the start of last year. Yeah. We might never see that again. So to me, that felt like a smash where I was like, yeah, I understand Waller turns 30 right at the start of the season, but you give me two, three years from him where he's get, where he's getting 130, 140, 150 targets yeah. in an above average pass offense. I want Darren Waller in tight yeah. end premium. It seemed obvious to me. Yeah, I, I like the trade. Um, you know, yeah, Hawkinson's a little scary because of the, you know, Swift is a target monster. Amon Ra is a target monster. They just drafted Jamison. And I think with those three, it's like, it's really hard. And then you point out Chark and Goff and there's other problems. You know, it's like uh, the, the, the the tendency to want to run there. There's just a lot of run. And I also think Hawkinson is more in the Kittle a mold where he's probably, I think he might be like one of the two or three best actual tight ends in the NFL. Like if you were drafting as an NFL team, you'd be like Kittle first period. There's no question. He's the best tight end in the game, but that's because he can block like a offensive tackle. So you just have this amazing run asset as well as this top four or five pass catching asset. It's unbelievable, right? You know, Kelsey's great, but I mean, come on, you know, he's a, He's a very average, middling, maybe below average blocker, which you know, it's not a big deal, but I'm just saying, like, you know, Kittle's one, two in real football. I think Hawkinson's there, but in 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 fantasy, I mean, yeah, Waller's gonna eat his lunch. There's no doubt about that. I said this on uh the last time I guessed it on Mind of Manch with Matt Kelly. I said, and I quote, I fucking hate when my tight end blocks. <laughs> right. Because PPB, all that can baby. happen, all that can happen is he gets injured. There is zero fantasy point potential in blocking. Yeah. So when you tell me that Waller isn't a good blocker, I'm like, oh, thank goodness. The last thing I want is this guy blocking when I'm trying to score fantasy points. Yeah. So we need, I, we I need that, instead of PPR, you need PPP, which is points per pancake from the tight end <laughs> position. When Kittle lays someone out, you should be able to get like two. Like that way, when you watch him, you're like, that'd be actually pretty cool. Point Anytime he fucking just lays out a linebacker or safety, you, you get a uh, you get like three points for that shit. I would like it, and and then you wouldn't have to have the conversation of oh Kittle's disrespected in fantasy. But like no no no, you have to you have to try this PPP format. You have no <laughs> That's idea. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah, he's the tight end one in PPP formats. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, we did it. We found out a new way to go. I think I think we should start it up right now. Call call uh, call sleeper. Add a PPP. Um, 
speaking of a P that may not be so good is Kenny Pickett. Uh, I'm not sure about Pickett and, you know, like, I guess I'd ask it this way is, is Kenny Pickett an actual upgrade over big Ben? Like, do we know this? So, so the way that I see it is I think he's going to be more efficient than big Ben. I don't think people realize just how inefficient Roethlisberger was. was so he bad. averaged 6.2 yards per attempt, identical 6.2 yards per attempt. His final two years in the league. That is basically rookie Trevor Lawrence or rookie Zach Wilson levels. Yeah. And you might go like, well, I don't think I noticed that. And it's because the Steelers were passing with the best of them in terms of how often they were throwing the ball like 38 to 40 times a game. If you look at who threw the ball the most last year, the teams at the top of the list, it was basically everyone you would expect. And then the Steelers, it's like, oh yeah, the Buccaneers, the Chargers, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Cowboys, and the Steelers. And I I think that that is where switching to Kenny Pickett could actually hurt the Steelers in fantasy. And why I'm really just not in on any Steelers this year. I know some people have said like, oh, Deontay Johnson, do you not realize Kenny Pickett He's going to be above 6.2 yards per attempt. There's no way. And to that, I say, well, Wilson and Lawrence weren't really last year as rookies. I think Pickett will be. It's just a pretty good situation he's stepping into. But yeah, the pass it, volume, I think, has to come down considerably. We just Lark- generally Larky. don't see. Larky, we also talk about like adjusted net yards per attempt where it's like, are, are, is he moving the offense? I mean, one of the things Ben did is he would just get rid of it quickly because he wasn't taking sacks because his team was so mm-hmm. bad. You, know, you look at uh, Zach Wilson, he was two yards less on adjusted, uh, you know, adjusted net yards per attempt because of all the sacks he took. And it's like, you know, yeah, he was 6.1, Ben was 6.2, but he was 3.86 adjusted net yards per attempt versus uh, I think almost five for Ben or over five. Actually. He was over five. So it's like, it's like, you know, I'm not sure that he's going to be actually like, he may be more, it's just, it's just an interesting question. I mean, of course he's going to throw the ball further down the field, but more picks, more incompletions, more sacks. It could be, it could be problems. I mean, unless that offensive line is fixed, which I'm not smart enough to know. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what's going on with the O-line. And that's a really good point about that. When you adjust for sacks, Pickett's probably going to take a lot of sacks. Right? He he wasn't very good his first four years in college. He was good his fifth year in college. <laughs> right. yeah. And that was kind of because he had a really good offensive line. If you look at his average time to throw in college, it's really high when he was right. good. He's probably not going to have that. Because like you said, it's. I mean, we're not O-line gurus, but... It wasn't good last year. Bad last year. And it's not like they were signing every single marquee free agent and bringing them in. So I think, will it be better this year? Probably hard to be worse. Right. But I I still think it's going to be bad in terms of the Steelers. I just don't want any of them in fantasy. Right. I know that sounds weird to write off a team. It's what I've done with the Seahawks. I go this year. I just don't want Seahawks in fantasy. I've done enough research to know that fantasy analysts are really good at knowing which offenses will be good and less good at player takes. So the way that I've started to use that is I can just write off pretty much an offense and go, unless some guy is truly that mispriced, I really just don't want much exposure. I don't see the ceiling. And uh, there was a study done by uh, one of my favorite people in the industry, JJ Zacharyson. Never heard of him. Yeah, I know. No no one knows anything about him. But So I I, I talked with this guy a little bit and find out that he's done a study that shows that there hasn't been a rookie quarterback to support two top 24 receivers before in their rookie year. 
And I go, okay, Deontay Johnson is going to be a top 24 receiver. I think he was like the wide receiver seven or eight in PPR points per game last year. I think Deontay is locked. Well, if suddenly I know that Claypool, that kind of means like he's probably not going to have that chance. And it's because the rookie quarterbacks, they throw the ball less. They generally are not as fast of processors. So they're going to hit their first read more often. Then I go, well, I don't even know if there's a ceiling for Claypool. And then like at Fryermuth and I, I, I made a TikTok about him a few months ago and I was like, you need to stop drafting Fryermuth because yeah. he's going to have a bad quarterback. He had like a 13% rookie target share. Yep. He's going to be the third, fourth, maybe fifth option in that offense. Right. Where does the ceiling come from? Yes. And then Pickens, I'm like, all right, well, he's, he's a rookie. Yeah, the ADP is really late. There's a chance he exceeds his ADP, but to what extent? You're not, it's not like you, sure, like if you, I don't even know. I'm looking. Pickens is wide receiver 72. You, yeah. He ends up finishing as wide receiver 60. You don't even notice. Right. That 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 doesn't really matter. You're drafting a late guy hoping that he can he can suddenly do something sneaky. Like what Russell Gage or Christian Kirk has shown the last couple of years. That's the type of late round pick where you're like, oh, I'm actually starting this guy suddenly. Yeah. And I just, for me, I don't see it with any of these Steelers receivers. I think the pass volume is going to be way down. I, I think this is actually going to be a bad Steelers offense. And that you would think it was so. kind of masked by this outrageous play volume and the trust in Big Ben, like you said, that he's going to get the ball quickly. He's not going to take sacks and that the offense will at least do something. I mean, Ben was embarrassing in a lot of ways, but he still, you know, he's still, a, he had the the sort of the programming of one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Like he, he knew what he couldn't do and I'm sure it was frustrating for him. I mean, could you imagine like at one point being what big Ben was when he was just like, I mean, you know, just killing fools out there and just unable to do it both because of his declining physical abilities. Like he could not run anymore. He was just not able and he could not throw anymore because his shoulder was fucked up and his offensive line was terrible. I mean, he actually made the most of it in some ways and embarrassingly so, but going forward, look, if their offensive line is, I don't know, the 22nd best, in other words, just good enough, then you're right. I think Deontay gets a ton of targets, but Chase Claypool going going off on underdog at wide receiver 51. Look, I'm not saying that he's going to have this big season, but wide receiver 51 for Claypool? Are we sure about that? That's a tough one. And I think for me, I'm not drafting a lot of him. I'm with you. I think he's going to exceed that. Yeah. I just don't quite see the ceiling. So that's why when I think about it, I really try and shoot for the guys with the crazy ceiling. The way that I kind of, my philosophy is kind of that you can tank almost every single pick. And if you have three really good picks in redraft, or if you have three really good assets in dynasty that greatly outperform expectations, that that kind of can help you win a fantasy championship. I just don't quite see how Chase Claypool helps you win a fantasy championship this year. So for redraft, I'm not as interested. Dynasty, I'm I'm still mixed. I do like that Deontay might be gone, but then I'm like, well, Pickens could probably step up, and that his prospect profile was so much better. But, so, but like, all right, so so let me just let me just say it this way. Give, give me I, give me the case because I'm clearly because here. You like, like I, him I don't even I don't no I don't even like Claypool. I dude, I almost got. You want to talk about JJ Zacharyson? You want to talk about what a great dynasty player he was? He is. Uh, but what he did uh, right after the off season, right as the off season ended. I don't know if you remember, but at that time, see, people don't don't keep Claypool was like a top twenty to thirty 
a wide receiver in Dynasty. He was very, very close. He was actually ranked ahead on like keep trade cut and everybody's rankings because it was the leftovers from last year, right? You know, uh, those rankings, right? The people don't move as fast. He was ranked ahead of Amon Ross St. Brown and at that time. And uh, JJ sends me the trade, Claypool for Amon Ra, and he almost got me. Almost got me. So really, and it was just that brilliant move of knowing that that asset was about to fall, Amon Ra about to go up. But at that moment, I looked at it and I was like, wait, I he's ranked higher. I should maybe consider this. And, you know, a lot of players would think that way and not look at the future. And thank God I was able to resist his advancements. But hey, check this out. So Chase Claypool was was wide receiver 37 last year, all right? He had 105 targets and only two touchdowns. So it's like, I'm, I'm just saying like he's going to, with Ben, right? So he had 105 Ben targets, only scored two touchdowns, and was the wide receiver 37. Like, how much worse do we really think it's going to get? Is all I'm saying. Like, do we really, I don't know, like, He's going to just have like 80 targets and scored one touchdown this year. I just don't, I don't think so. I mean, I just don't think so. I think he's going to be involved. I think he's going to be one of the wide receivers on an NFL team, like, and likely the wide receiver two on that team and likely get over a hundred targets and likely score more than two touchdowns with inefficient play from a rookie quarterback. I'll give you that, but don't you think, or am I just fucking crazy here? Like, I'm not saying he's going to be great, but like 110 targets, 900 yards, four touchdowns, like, Really? He's not going to outperform his wide receiver 51, um, you know, uh, draft position at this point? So I, I have him outperforming his draft position. My, my worries are kind of twofold. But before I get to that, I have to say, nice, nice subtle flex with playing in a league with JJ. That must yeah, be a lot of fun. You. Yeah. <laughs> it's so not with, fun at all because it's like, yeah, no, not fun. Anyway, keep going. You you want to meet your heroes until they're taking your money. Yeah. That- <laughs> So I think there's so I still think there's two factors affecting Claypool. One is that they're they're probably going to pass less. So if he maintains target volume, he has to increase target share and his role in the offense. And then the other one is that George Pickens is really good. Yep. And I understand he played with Juju last year, but Juju didn't really play much last year. They only right. played four games together, and then Juju got hurt in game five. Yep. So really. Pickens is just a direct assault on Claypool because there wasn't that other third receiver in play. And Pat Fryermuth was a rookie tight end who's probably going to step up his role as well. So I do think Deontay Johnson's role likely shrinks a little bit, hmm. which is why I'm, I just worry about him for, for this season. I think Dynasty, he's fine. But for this year, I'm not very excited about Deontay because I think he gets a smaller target share in a much smaller target pie. So maybe Claypool takes some of that, but I think the two forces of fewer overall pass attempts, or I guess three forces, fewer overall pass attempts, Pickens comes in and Fryermuth probably gets at least slightly more involved because his 13% target share from last year kind of skews because it was really closer to 17% towards the end of last year. So for me, I, I just worry about all those factors. So right now, if you play 17 games, I haven't projected 104 targets. Yeah. So it's similar to last year, but yeah, it doesn't actually add up to much when no, he, I still don't think he's going to be super efficient. I've got him. I think he's going to have, I have him at kind of like four and a half touchdowns projected. So I think sure. he's going to be definitely better than <laughs> yeah. the two last year, but yeah. that still adds up to like nine fantasy points a game, nine and a half. 
And while that I mean, could exceed ADP, I yeah. just struggle to get excited. No, don't get excited. Number. Please don't, because we definitely should not be excited about this team. I think fading this team altogether is a wise move, especially Najee at, at running back five. But Claypool at 51 just felt crazy. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, I was going to ask you, like, um, if you think about it too, um, you probably don't have this in front of you, but you think about slot percentage for these wide receivers. What do you think their slot percentage is, uh, you know, in this offense? That's a good question. Thank you. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm really not sure. Right. So, so let me, so let me I'm, share I'm with you what this. I was thinking. Uh, yeah. Let me hear your thoughts. Yeah. Because give you my, my uneducated thoughts. Yeah. Cause it's not, we don't have this on the show. We, neither one of us researched this before, but what I'm saying is like, I think Claypool played more in the slot last year than you might've imagined. I think it was almost like 30 or 40% or some crazy thing. Like Deontay played there a lot, like 60 or something, you know, but I think it's probably going to be in that range where it's like 70%, you know, uh, that's probably a lot, but you know, high above 50% for, um, uh, Deontay. And I think above 25 or 30% for Claypool. And I think like next to 0% for Pickens, I I really Mm -hmm. think he's going to play outside only. And for that, I think they're going to sort of Michael Gallup him, if that makes sense, you know, where they're just going to put him where they put him, learn this one role as a rookie, maybe that changes, but I just think as a rookie, they're gonna be like, dude, you're this guy, you know, and outside, boom, learn this route tree, learn this, you know, and I, and he doesn't really have slot experience. Pickens doesn't profile as a slot. Look, if he does, I'll be excited because that's fantastic. Because I've got a, a, a fair amount of Pickens in Dynasty, so I'd rather him play in the slot. I just don't think he will. And for that reason, I think the other person to move into the slot, big slot, big play, will be Claypool. And if there are some big plays to be happening on this team, you'd think Claypool might be that guy. And in best ball, mm-hmm. that's what the fuck we're looking for. Big plays. So that's why I think this way. What are your thoughts? So that's a good point. So I looked, so I thought Deontay, so I knew that Claypool played some slot. Yeah. I knew Deontay played some slot last year. I thought Deontay had played a decent bit more slot. I was wrong. So I pulled up the the yeah. old employer player profiler, Deontay <laughs> Johnson, 2020, seven and a half percent slot rate. Woo. 2021, five and a half percent slot rate. Deontay what? basically never played the slot last year, which Unbelievable. is news to me. I was going to say 25, 30%. Yeah, thir- I thought it was close to 50. So Claypool, 11% in back-to-back years. He's basically hmm. like every, every nine to 10 snaps, he's in the slot. What about um, that 11%? That's, that's, I mean, it's still not a ton, but it's double Deontay. Right. And I think now that I'm thinking about that offense, Ray Ray McLeod is someone I always forget about. I think he was off in their slot receiver down the stretch last year. Once it, Juju went down, those numbers, by the way, account for all snaps, not just snaps where there was a slot. I mean, when there is a slot, how often will they be in that? You know, because of course you're not. There's a oftentimes there's no slot, so you can't play in the slot true. if there isn't a slot. But mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah. So I mean, eleven percent from Claypool on all snaps. You know, it's probably when there is a slot. You know, when there's three, right? Um, I think he's going to play a bit more in there than because now Juju's gone. Obviously, Juju basically was locked in there for four games till he got hurt. I don't remember. Was it Ray Ray McLeod that played the rest of it? My goodness. Yeah, I remember him because I would do my projections each week and I was like, wow, I can never actually recommend Ray Ray McLeod in (laughs) DFS. But there is a weird there's a there's no ceiling, but there's a floor. So I'm looking at McLeod. Here it is. Let me read you some target totals from week 10 onward for Ray Ray McLeod. 12, 2, 4, 8, 3, 8, 10, 9, 2. Wow. 
Ray Ray McLeod was getting targets. And I noticed that in my projections. I was like, wow, Ray Ray McLeod has like this weird floor where he gets these tiny a dot targets and he gets you like seven to eight fantasy points every game. Never more, never less. So he was basically so he was playing guy. like James Washington off the field. Is that, that's basically what happened, right? Yeah. So I'm looking, oh, here it is. Ray Ray McLeod. Here we go. 82% slot rate. Last there you year. go. Yeah. So he, he was basically dominating those slot snaps when they had someone in the slot and when McLeod was out there. So, wow, that's he, crazy. He so slot guy, but I mean, he's do you gone think he now. plays in. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, do you think anybody plays Claypool Pickens or Deontay off the field? Or do you think they play those guys in the slot? This is what's interesting. Yeah. I guess the other guy you could see is Calvin Austin. So Calvin wow. Austin, he's tiny. However, wow. Matt Harmon loved him in yeah. reception perception. And I thought that was interesting because he didn't really like Wandale Robinson that much. I think Wandale Robinson's production profile was crazy. It was just unbelievably good. But he said when he watched every single snap that the way that Wandale was lining up was not very receiver-esque. Calvin Austin was actually winning on the outside and running mm. real receiver routes. Of course, at his size, when you're 160 pounds, you're not going to play outside in the NFL unless you're Marquise Brown. I don't think he's Marquise Brown. He's probably going to play in the slot if for some reason... Calvin Austin and his very, very strong college production profile translates. Maybe he's in the McLeod role. And next, you know, we're just pulling our hair out because the, those like six, seven targets a game are often going to Calvin Austin at this terrible a dot. And he's not (laughs) fantasy relevant, but it hurts other people. So he could be the the sneaky one, but I'm with you at this point. I I'm on board with Claypool uh, as getting a very large amount of slot snaps in order to, Best utilize him and accommodate Pickens, who's very limited, and Deontay, who now at this point has a two-year history of not of just playing dominating wow. outside. Yeah, that's incredible. I, I actually didn't know that. Um, and, and the big thing too is like this Calvin Austin light bulb just goes off when you say that because Deontay leaves, and then all of a sudden you have maybe it's Claypool and Pickens outside with Calvin Austin inside next year. I mean, stranger things have happened. Uh, but in order for any of this stuff to work, it's going to be on the shoulders of Kenny Pickett. And in terms of Kenny Pickett, I'll ask the question this way. This will tell you whether or not you believe in him because this is the question. This tells you whether or not you believe in him as a quarterback. Who would you rather have in Dynasty, Kenny Pickett or Tom Brady? So I, I saw this on the show sheet and I just avoided it because I thought I don't even – how would I even answer this? It's the best ever. It just basically tells you whether or not you think Kenny Pickett is ever going to be good because if he's going to be good at all, it's like you have to pick Pickett. But – I mean, shit, so I'll, I'll pass I'll on Pickett, Pickett to take Brady later is all I'll do. So I, I think, yeah, I if if I'm just going one for one in Dynasty, yeah. and we assume same cost, I will go Pickett. I do not feel great about it. <laughs> That's my but point. I'll, there you go. But I'll, I'll tell you what I like about Pickett and why I think that, so I realized, I, I made my rookie rankings and then I realized that I was actually above consensus on Pickett and Superflex. Yeah, me too. Which surprised me because I, I, I do not like this guy. Right, me neither. We just talked, we were just chuckling. He, he took until year five to actually be halfway decent. But he has a four-year track record. All four years as a starter, he's running about nine times per game. Hmm. That has to account for something. Yep. The guy, I know he... He's not crazy fast, but he's also not slow. If this guy is actually a tactical scrambler and he maybe runs five, six times at the NFL level, a few hundred rushing yards can add up pretty quickly for fantasy points. We've seen Daniel Jones do this, where you look and you go, wow, Daniel Jones actually has some decent fantasy games. 
even though we don't think he's necessarily a great quarterback, because if you can sneak in 30 or 40 rushing yards in a game, that's just an extra few fantasy points. Next, you know, your 16 fantasy point game is a much more robust 20 fantasy points for right. those rushing yards. So I, I think Pickett will actually score more fantasy points than people think. I still don't think he's a very good quarterback. I still don't think that he has some crazy fantasy ceiling, but I think that hit his floor and just what, what he's probably going to do his kind of baseline case. I think it's better than people give him credit for Yeah, because he is in the perfect situation. Very, very rarely does a rookie quarterback go in the first round and is probably going to start right away with this many weapons Yep. And a coaching staff with this history of success yeah. and stability. I mean, if if I was an NFL player, I was going to a team, the Steelers would be at the top of my list. Absolutely. It'd be one of the two or three teams I'd want to, not that I want to live in Pittsburgh necessarily, but if I'm just talking, <laughs> no no offense to all the Pittsburgh listeners, but if, yeah. if I'm Harking just thinking- back to, who was it? Was it uh, Joe Kim Noah or somebody said, who was it that said, what the hell's so good about Cleveland? I don't want to go to Cleveland, you know? I think it was Joe Kim. I don't remember, but anyway, keep going. Who the fuck so vacations I, in Cleveland? Nobody. You yeah. Know, same thing. Pittsburgh. Yeah. I, I I don't remember who said that, but I I remember the quote. Yeah. And then uh, Cleveland was like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, it's like I think it was Joe Kim Noah. I think it was Joe Kim Noah. And then the rest of the U.S. was like, "Yeah, that sounds about accurate." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go to fucking Cleveland. He's got a point. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think with with Pickett, he's just in a good spot. I would want to play for the Steelers. Yeah. They, they've had the such uh, such a similar front office year after year. Tomlin's been there for what, like 15, 20 years. Yeah. This is a very, very good organization. Tomlin's exactly the coach you want to play for. There's just no doubt. He's mm-hmm. just so, so cool. So, um, speaking I of Pickett. The, I give the edge to Pickett yeah, over speaking Brady. Of, I, I mean, but it's close. Brady might have more career fantasy points from this point on than Kenny Pickett. It's not out of, it's not out of the realm of possibility. That's what's so fucking crazy about it. Like if Pickett essentially busts like a Daniel Jones level, like, bust not 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 bust out immediately but even if he plays three or four years if brady can just play two he can score more in those two years than pickett could score in the next three or four and if pickett is replaced at that point so i mean that's why i say it it's like people are like well obviously pickett you idiot it's like not not really i mean again it's sort of that ceiling conversation with with tight end it's like look i know brady's gonna throw 600 to 700 passes this year and probably have 40 touch like you don't want that. You don't. You don't like that in your in your fantasy lineup. Instead, you're gonna be like, pick it someday, baby. He's gonna be something. Uh, so, so yeah, it's not. You know, look, he has to hit for that to be the right answer uh, in some ways. But I will also say that you can also cash in your chips if you're wrong on on Pickett, where it's harder to do that on Brady. Uh, yeah, I'll, Brady I'll retires. It's like goodbye. It's, it, yeah, so, exactly. So I I could see Brady outscoring him. I looked. Tom Brady had legitimately two and a half times as many fantasy points as Zach Wilson last year. There you go. So there, there is math where Brady plays even one season yes. and can somehow squeak out the victory if Pickett's really that bad. That's fucking And if bad. Pickett flounders for two years yes. and then gets the can. Yes. That you could look up and go, you know what, that Brady season. Yeah, Brady, 387 <laughs> fantasy points. Zach Wilson oh, was down at 163. Oh. So two and a half times as many. There so it is. So good. So good. Speaking of two and a half times as many. Fat Lenny is back on the Tampa Bay Bucks. He is two and a half times as many fucking pounds right now, baby. I love it. I love it. One picture changes everything, doesn't it now? Yeah, I saw that. And I mean, so I'm, I'm not I'm not some nutrition health person, but everyone that I've talked to has always said 
it is better to slim down than bulk up. Yeah. <laughs> you don't so think I'm you should like, be bulking okay. up in the midsection area? So I'm like, yeah, it's obviously I would like if he was in better shape right now. But if he's coming to training camp at this weight and the idea is that he's in a slim down during camp, that is a recipe for success. <laughs> We've seen way more good fantasy seasons come from a player that's slimming down as opposed to a guy where during the training camp process is eating a ton and trying to lift and bulk up. So my, my concern level is pretty minimal. Pretty I mean, minimal. We've seen it before. He had these pictures. This happened before in Jacksonville. And, yeah, he uh, had the, the like the the little pot belly. We, yeah, the Fat it. Lenny pictures. I mean, this is Fat Lenny 2.0. It's awesome. I love it. I'm so excited. I can't wait for Fat Lenny to be the you know running back seven in uh, in fantasy this year and have a you know hundred targets and it's just going to be great. So yeah, Fat Lenny is back. I love it. Um, but that does kind of <laughs> Rashad White's price. I guarantee you is rising right now just because of one Fat Lenny photograph. I mean, am I right? So it's definitely gone up. My take on Rashad White was like, you, you should have just been drafting him from the get-go. Exactly. I, I've been heavily drafting in best ball and then in Dynasty, been working to heavily acquire both of them. Yeah. And the reason that I want both Fournette and Rashad White, Fournette, it's just the two-year window with running backs. Yep. Outside of the three or four super backs in the NFL, we really have no idea what the fuck's going to happen two years from now. Bingo. Leonard Fournette's probably going to be pretty damn good for two years. He is on a top five offense in football right now. He catches passes. He gets goal line work. He gets a lot of overall touches. You really want that. And then Rashad White looks like exactly the type of running back that could do exactly what Fournette did last year if Fournette goes down, which, spoiler alert, Fournette has never made it through a full season healthy. Right. So if you have Rashad White in Dynasty, or you have him in, in best ball redraft, whatever it is, you can pretty much bank that there's going to be some weeks where he is the starter. Even if he doesn't outplay Fournette, just purely based on Fournette getting injured. And Rashad White's 215 pounds. He ran in the four fours. He caught nearly 500 receiving yards with 10 yards per reception as a senior at Arizona State. And it's because he often lined up wide, just like, like, a, like Eckler, or vintage Le'Veon Bell, where the next thing you know, they send the running back out wide. That is what Rashad White was doing. He is the best pass catcher in this class by by quite a bit at the running back position. And he even rushed for over a thousand yards as a senior. Bingo. He is a total three-down workhorse with his profile. Yes. So if anything, what I've said is if anything happens to Fournette, Rashad White is a top three option weekly. Bingo. Just on principle. Yeah. Because I love this. Fournette's probably going to be a top three option weekly whenever he's playing and that the reason his price isn't quite that high in redraft is because he's older. Maybe right. he's going to get injured. So that, that that's kind of factored into his cost. You so want to know, I, you, you want to know who I have back to back in my dynasty rankings, uh, right next to Rashad white. Let's hear it. Tony Pollard. That's a good one. Doesn't Tony Pollard and Rashad white feel like the same type of, upside play and somewhat floor here and there involved in a high powered offense guy who if the lead back who's a little older and overweight goes down that they could absolutely smash as a top five running back yeah because if you're looking at the next two years for these guys yeah it seems like Fournette's got two years there and probably Zeke two more years with that contract so it sounds just about right to me yeah, yeah, that passes. Pollard feels like uh, Rashad White feels like a little, you know, the next Tony Pollard, where he's just going to have these 
wow plays where, yeah, he may not be startable in year one, but you know, there, you know, cause you're not going to know, I mean, best ball, he's fine, but like, you're not going to start him being like, today's the week he's going to have a 60 yard, you know, whatever. Right. You know? So, but he's going to get like, you know, 10, 20, maybe 30% of the snaps here and there, you know, just sort of a, a speller. And then, but every now and again, he's going to be like, Oh shit, you see Rashad white just took it 70 yards. Cause he, he's a, he's fast, man. He's explosive and he can catch a little swing pass and, and be gone beats one player. He's gone. So yeah, I think he's going to have some splash plays a la Tony Pollard. And I think they both have that upside if their older, fatter uh, backfield <laughs> mate gets uh, goes down with a pulled, you know, fucking stomach muscle from eating too much yeah. lasagna. <laughs> yeah, pull, pull, pull in there, pull in one of those middle ribs. Yeah, you know, the fat pockets that lock up on you. You got all you motherfuckers listening. You know, you've laughed a little bit, a little too hard at a joke one time. All of a sudden, a fat pocket locks up and you got to like fucking bend over a little bit. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't fucking play. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, though. Yeah, right. yeah you don't have any fat fun. pockets. You're a fucking you're like six, eight, 122 pounds, right? Is that your is that what you are? Uh, no, not quite. I'm, I'm five, nine, one sixty, but five, nine, one sixty. I was close. I was so close. Yeah. You, you had the BMI, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 22 BMI. You're basically uh Devante Smith is what you are. Yeah, pretty much. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, no, I've, I've got a higher BMI than Devante you Smith. Do have he's six higher. foot. Yes. He's six you foot one seventy. So I think five, nine, one sixty, one sixty five. Oh, absolutely. You got him crushed. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I could take him in a fight. Yeah, the Jello wrestling. Yeah, you <laughs> fucking would put him right down. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, Devonte Smith Jello wrestling. I think we found our show title. That's how it happens, folks. That's how the that's how the cake is made. Uh, speaking about how the cake is made, why is Russell Gage the very best value on the board in all formats right now? I mean, this is the guy who's just gonna. I mean, he's the butter in your cake, man. Yeah, you're speaking my language. I don't think there's any player that I've drafted more on underdog and best ball and that I've been trying to acquire more in dynasty right now than Russell Gage. So good. It's really simple. Russell Gage had 22% at the Falcons targets last year. He had a ton of spike weeks. He actually out targeted Kyle Pitts last year. I'm not saying that he's better than Kyle Pitts. Nope. Long-term Kyle Pitts was a rookie, but it's the idea that even with a rookie phenom Gage still took more work. Now he gets the call from Brady and Brady handpicked him. People don't like when I say that Brady handpicked him. Well, all right, fine. Whatever you want to use for Tom Brady personally calling him and saying, <laughs> hey, I would love for you to play on the Buccaneers. Right. That sounds pretty much like what handpicked means <laughs> is when he chooses to call him by cell phone. And Russell Gage goes, when they interviewed him, he's like, yeah, I was shocked. And I didn't think it was real until I fully understood the gravity of it, that Tom Brady was calling me, asking me to play for the Buccaneers. And uh, the reason that, that means he something. wanted that means something, by the way, that's something it means something. Yeah. I've, I've always said that the reason that you should be in on Leonard Fournette is because Tom Brady trusts him. Yep. And there's no better evaluator of talent in the world for football than Tom Brady. I love you, it. Like, I think if Tom Brady thinks a player is bad at football or good at football, I, I don't think there's anyone in the world that could say the opposite. And I'd immediately side with them. I'd go, yeah, Tom Brady's playing the league for 25 years. He's the best player ever. That makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. He does know football intimately. He's out there. And if he thinks Russell Gage is the receiver he wants to throw to, that is great news for Russell Gage. I was going to say, even if he's, even if he's wrong, he's going to be right in the fact that that is still the guy he likes. 
So, and, and, and all the peripheries with Russell Gage have been outstanding. You know, his, his catch percentage. I mean, he's been great and he's only gotten better. He's gotten better and better every single year with his efficiency. Um, he has two straight years of basically a hundred targets. So yeah, this is, this is on like Donkey Kong, Chris Godwin, a la Michael Gallup is going to be out for, I don't know, man, he may not even have a very much to offer this season. It, it, it's a bad injury. And it's going to take a long time. Wasn't he ACL and MCL, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, like, he was everything. I yeah, think Godwin good, is at man. Le- I think he's at least eight weeks. At what least. I, well, I've seen some reports that he he's targeting Thanksgiving. Yeah, he might be a that playoff terrify player. You. Yeah, it's got to terrify you. Like, I love Chris Godwin, but literally, Russell Gage is going to play the Chris Godwin role. Like, that's what's happening here, You're folks. You're basically it's- getting... Chris Godwin, Godwin in the yes. eighth or ninth round of your It's drafts. ridiculous. Yes. And you just, I, I probably have him in, this is going to sound crazy. I think I have him in probably 45% of my, I've done about a hundred best ball drafts already. I probably have 45 Russell Gage shares at this point. Yeah. So smart. I just can't say no yeah. when he's going at like pick 90. Yeah. And I think, all right, well, you're basically getting Chris Godwin from last year at pick 90. Yeah, I think maybe Gronk without some touchdown play, but, upside, maybe, but yeah. probably will st- score more touchdowns than he's done in the past because of checks notes. Tom fucking Brady. Yeah, Antonio Brown is not there. <laughs> right. I think Gronk is going to play, but <clears throat> I do. Gronk is getting older as well. It's not out of the question that Gronk takes a step back. I think Gronk is a crazy value, by the way. Yes. But that's besides the point. It's basically because people don't realize, I don't think there's any chance he's actually retiring. No. He's every, every move that the Buccaneers have made signals they think he's returning. Correct. Yeah, Cade Otten, not the answer. Yeah, if if they really thought that he wasn't returning, they would have they would have grabbed someone like Gerald Everett. Yeah, exactly. They'd have they're, made a hundred. Or they would have kept OJ Howard. Yes, another year removed from For the three Achilles million. Tear. Right, exactly. Yeah, there there's no way that that Gronk's doing anything but returning there, unless he and Tom Brady have some <clears> random <throat> fight that we haven't heard about. But it seems like he's back. But I mean, me, Gronk, like- Gronk could make a move on Giselle. That's fucking. I mean, let's put it, let's not put yeah. it past them. It, it could happen. Could I mean, ruin it, everything. Yeah. The the ultimate meathead himself. So <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to be Evans, Gage, Gronk. Those yep. are your three big target getters. And you put on the show sheet, you were like, Brady's a lock for 600 attempts. I disagree. Brady is Uh-oh. a lock for 700 yes! attempts. Yes. I knew it. I knew you were going to do that. He just had like 720 pass attempts last year. Yes. He's going to he's going to throw the ball 42 times, 43 times a game again. This is a team that knows how good they are at passing the ball. Tom Brady isn't sticking around another year at 45 or whatever or 46 to hand the ball off to no Fat chance. Lenny. Yeah, no chance. That is that is not why he has returned to play another season. So, I I really think Gage is truly the best value wide receiver. Yeah, I I, 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 I quite a bit. It's unbelievable. I'm so, how can I read your mind? But it's true. Russell Gage is the best value in all formats because right now he's only 25 too. And in in Dynasty, he goes late. I mean, I I picked up, I don't even want to say where I picked him because actually, wherever I picked him in Dynasty, I fucked up because I should have taken him a round or two sooner to make sure I got him. I actually played too much chicken. I think I might have traded up to get him in this most recent startup I did. And it was too late. I was like, what am, why why have I left him out there for these other idiots who didn't take him to not take him? I mean, I fucked up. I'm just as bad as the rest of them. I just realized it sooner than all of them. But it's it, he is you need to lock in Russell Gage a round or two if not more than his ADP. Probably even more because someone else is going to see him and take him. It, it he's just way undervalued. 
Um, and great job answering the uh, the idea about where these targets are going to go with Brady. But 600 targets, you mentioned, it's like, yeah, he, he's they're going to go somewhere. Evans is not a target hog. So, I mean, at the end of the day, Evans, you know, tops out at 150. He's only done that once in his career. He was super productive with low hundreds. I don't remember 112 or I'm not looking at it right now. I looked at it the other day. It was like 109 to 120 is basically all he needs because he's a, you know, a, a red zone weapon and a downfield weapon. So I think you're going to see maybe a few more Evans targets, you know, on slants and other things to, to fill in when, you know, the, some of the other weapons are gone, Antonio Brown and Godwin, but that just makes room for Russell Gage to probably see closer to 150 targets. And I don't, I'm not even trying to be like, I'm I'm not I'm not trying to be hot take guy here. I just think like why wouldn't he? Like he saw a hundred targets in a shitty Atlanta offense. Um, you know, like you say, with other, you know, solid players around. I mean, he got a hundred targets when Ridley was on the field too. It's not like this was just this last year. This is two years straight. I, I just think with a much higher volume offense, and as you point out, Brady asked him to come play. I think it's huge. Is there anybody else uh behind them that you think could be of value? Lord knows I'm a um uh, Tyler Johnson fan. Is there anybody else uh, there that, that, that interests you at all? And especially in dynasty, maybe not best, maybe best ball. Tell, tell me what you think. Uh, maybe Jalen Darden. He's yeah. on the team. He's the youngest one. I think Tyler Johnson ship has sailed. I, I think last yeah, it year, feels like it, right? it felt like the rookie year was very promising. It's going, yeah. Oh, anytime he's on the field, he's hyper targeted. Yep. He's making some cool, cool diving catches. And then it, it seemed like last year we kind of realized, uh, for some reason, Tom Brady, just he does not like Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson was getting, it seemed like he was getting the bare minimum amount of targets anytime he was starting in place of yeah. Antonio Brown. And that was kind of my fear was that if you're starting with Tom Brady and you're not fantasy relevant, something's probably wrong with you because basically everyone else that started with him in the Buccaneers has done really, really well. Yeah. So for me, Maybe I'm taking a flyer on Darden. The other one that I, I think is just interesting, this is more for like uh, best ball leagues or dynasty best ball is Perriman. I'm pretty sure Brashad Perriman is still there. And yeah. he had some sneaky usage at times last year. He he just feels like a safe bet for two to three big games, but yeah, we just don't know ball. when they'll happen. So I think he's a best ball only play, but yeah. I'm not too interested in going too far down the depth chart. I would say Darden just because of the youth and he's got some draft capital. Yeah. It's interesting but because not, I mean, you know, excited. It, it, it's just interesting because we see Mike Evans, we see Russell Gage. I mean, Brady has been known to kind of overfeed guys that he likes, which is why I think Russell Gage is such a, such a, you know, um, a locked in player. I mean, you know, what if he's the West Welker, Julian Edelman of this team, which is a hyper targeted, albeit close to the line of scrimmage, but I'll take 150 Brady targets close to the line of scrimmage, 10, 12 yards a catch. That's fine because I mean, that's going to be a huge, huge role for whomever. But after those two, it's like, okay, Godwin's out for a long time. And then you just start looking at the names on the team, Jalen Darden, Tyler Johnson, Brashad Perryman. What about Cyril Grayson? That dude fucking played good. I mean, I don't know. It just doesn't, I, I just can't imagine a world where it's like, Oh fuck Cyril Grayson. You know, like, it just doesn't make any sense. Right. So it's probably, the answer is probably none of these motherfuckers. Right. Yeah, it's probably none of them. Cyril yeah. Grayson's an interesting one too, where he he was surprisingly productive when called yeah. upon, but I don't think we quite saw enough of a sample size to know. And that's why I kind of deferred sure. to Darden. Was just that Darden has the draft capital. Yeah, but I mean, it it could be Grayson. I don't know. I, I think yeah, the real answer is that I think yeah. the real answer is it's going to be 
Evans, Engage, and Gronk. And then when Godwin returns, oh. it'll just be Evans, Engage, and Gronk, and Godwin as well. Yeah. And the offense will just get better. Yes. So I, I think that's the real answer. Yep. They've, they've, they've put the offensive line sort of back together too with, you know, getting Shaq Mason and, you know, Wirfs and, oh, it's going to be so fucking good. Um, speaking of Evans, like Evans now, if you, it, you know, based off of what we just said, like you could see an uptick in targets for him because again, Brady locks into guys he trusts. I think he trusts Mike Evans. If Mike Evans is healthy right now, he's going off the board, uh, wide receiver eight in best ball. Mike Evans or Tyreek Hill? What do you got? Best I ball. don't even think it's close. Okay, go. I mean, if if we're looking at a guy that's going to be on a very good offense, the edge is to Evans. Yep. If we want someone that has quarterback continuity, the edge is to Evans. Where where does Tyreek Hill get the edge? Yeah, Tyreek Hill gets he the edge yeah. after the catch. Yeah. But I'm like, okay, but he has to catch it first. He's got a really bad quarterback. And he's competing with Jalen Waddle. I my take on this whole Waddle Hill thing. I mean, I think so. I think it's just clearly Evans over Tyreek Hill. Yeah. And then with Hill, my fear is it is for some reason it has been the cool thing to just assume that Tyreek Hill steals the show in mm. Miami. I don't know. I, yeah. I do not see that. Yeah. I have like in best ball. I'm not drafting any Tyreek Hill. I'm drafting some Waddle because I have no idea which one's going to lead the team in targets. I would put it at fifty fifty. Who scores more this. fantasy points, Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle? I are you confident in either one outscoring the other? Because I'm certainly not. So if I'm one not. guy goes significantly later in best ball, and yet he had the most rookie receptions in NFL history and a 25% rookie target share, Thank and he you. cracked a thousand yards. And when I've done research the last 10 years, receivers with 1,000 or more receiving yards as a rookie go on to have 1,200 plus yards on average in year two, as well as averaging 17 PPR points a game. Mm. How am I supposed to just ignore that and go, well, Tyreek Hill is coming because Tyreek Hill, right. It doesn't make it sense to me either. I mean, Tyreek Hill, you know, there's a a, a fair portion of Tyreek Hill's success that can be connected to Mahomes. I mean, how much, I don't know, but not zero, not zero, right. It's some number of, Mahomes greatness that made Tyreek Hill that much more effective and dominant in in Kansas City and so now he doesn't have that he's going to be in a different offensive system we're going to just expect him to just be Tyreek Hill I, I mean I think you answered my question which was I was going to ask well do you think he'll thrive away from Mahomes and it sounds like you're dubious not to say that he's not going to be a good player he's a fucking amazing football player he's fastest dude out there and you know just unbelievable I yeah all that but I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not so sure he leads the team in targets either. He may lead the team in yards, um, but I don't know about targets. I, I agree with you. I think Waddle still stands to see a very heavy target share, uh, especially with Tyreek Hill, because Tyreek Hill is going to take a, a ton of attention. And I think it'll open up for Jalen Waddle because you can't ignore Tyreek Hill on the outside going deep and just roasting fucking corners all day long. Yeah, when you see that Tyreek Hill is going as a top 10 receiver, and we're not even certain he's the number one target getter on what shouldn't be a very good offense. Yep. What are we doing? Yep. You're telling me that he's probably going to be either tied for the team lead in targets or number two on a, a run heavy, not great offense. And I'm supposed to invest in him as a top 10 receiver. I There, there needs to be a lot to go right for Tyreek Hill. Yeah. 
It just seems to me like Tyree Kill's career high target share was 25% this past year. Yep. Waddle did that as a rookie. Yeah. It took Hill like five years in the league to be able to command one quarter of a team's passing offense. I I really feel like you could, it's easier to make the case, in fact, for Jalen Waddle. Because people go like, oh, but he had a low A dot as a rookie. I'm like, okay. That didn't affect him. He still had the yards. He still had the targets. And Jalen Waddle was returning from a catastrophic ankle injury. He, he sure was. He snapped his ankle. He's going to be better this year. He's going to be more explosive this year. Whatever you saw from Jalen Waddle as a rookie is not the best version of him. True. Because it was his first year in the NFL playing with Tua. So it's their first year in the NFL in this system. And Waddle was not 100% healthy. Remember all the stories about, oh, Jalen Waddle, he's got a limp in camp. And it was all about how the ankle wasn't quite 100%. The ankle's 100% now. He's, he's going to be really good. And don't and, forget, don't forget, Josh, a lot of what held them back last year was that Tua had the least amount of time to throw in the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. He was, it was basically, in, in shotgun, sometimes the defenders would beat him to the ball, you know, <laughs> like they'd be there first. So yeah, he had to just catch and throw a lot of times. They fixed that left side of the line with uh, checks notes, Teron fucking Armstead and Connor Williams. I mean, this is a big upgrade. Not like, oh, they they got a guy. No, they got arguably the best left tackle in the game. So yeah, they've really, you know, hopefully fixed their offensive line. Uh, you know, with, if we can assume health, they have fixed their offensive line. So, uh, you know, that's going to change things. That's going to give him an opportunity to let Tyreek Hill pressure the defense deep, pull safeties out of the middle, right? All these things. So I think I think you're right. I think Jalen Waddle. Uh, is being overlooked. I, I felt that even uh, right when they made the trade, I, I, I remember asked the great Evan Silva, who was fortunate enough to come, uh, you know, fortunate enough to have him on my show, and and he was a little bit low on Waddle. But I've actually, of course, I listen to uh, uh, Evan Silva all the time. And I've heard him kind of circle back around on that. I, I think that was it. It was interesting because once you see Tyreek, you're like, oh shit, everybody's fucked. But I don't think so. I think I think Waddle has enough talent on his own to stand on his own. And I think he's I think he's more of a target magnet than Tyreek Hill is. Tyreek Hill is more of a big play player. So I think you're right. Uh, give me some Jalen Waddle, dude. I love it. Should we talk about uh, Hill's former team? Because I have some strong thoughts on this one. I, I know where this is going. Yeah, you like this? Well, should we talk some Chiefs? You want to talk some Chiefs? I, I have my. Can I? Can I just? So I know we're, we're running low on time. Can I just do my, my Chiefs monologue? Oh, my God. I would love nothing more than to hear Josh Larkey in his Chiefs monologue. Go. So if we're, if we're looking at the, the receivers on the Chiefs, we've got Travis Kelsey, who had the lowest yards per route run, targets per route run, target share of the past seven seasons for himself. And then we have Juju Smith-Schuster. And Juju Smith-Schuster has been on the decline each of the past four seasons. And prior to going down in week five with the collarbone injury, through four weeks, he was being out-targeted by Deontay Johnson. And Chase Claypool. And Najee Harris. Even though both Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool played in three games out of the first four, yet Juju played in the first four. This is a very limited slot-type receiver at this point in his career. Then we have Marquez Valdez-Scantling. He is a situational field stretcher. Career-high 14% target share. Career catch rate below 50% despite playing with Aaron Rodgers. Then we have Mikael Hardman. He's a bust. He's a gadget guy. 
the A dot, the yards per reception have come precipitously down. Each of his three seasons in the NFL, the guy's terrible. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, wow. You want to know the one ascending player in the pass attack? Don't who do I it. want to be heavily oh, no. overexposed to. The one guy in the pass attack who is not on the decline or uh, like stagnating. I'll, we'll say MVS is stagnating because he he's playing with an elite quarterback again. And I think he's just going to do exactly what he did in Green Bay. But everyone else is declining. Sky Moore. Oof. Sky Moore got a scholarship to Western Michigan not to play wide receiver. He had never played receiver before in high school. He played quarterback and cornerback. He goes to Western Western Michigan. They give him a scholarship because he's so athletic. And they say, we don't really know what position you're going to play. Maybe we'll try you out at cornerback. That was kind of their initial thought because he was he's pretty undersized for a quarterback. So they go, well, you're going to play cornerback. They give him a couple of receiver reps and they go, wow, you are actually by far our best receiver. And he had 802 receiving yards to lead the team as a true freshman at receiver, never having played the position before. He was incredible in a five-game stretch before COVID hit. Then as a junior, he once again leads the team in receiving yards. He leads the MAC conference in receiving touchdowns. And even though he only played for two and a half years at a lesser program, he still got second round draft capital. Mm. You will be hard pressed to find someone that plays fewer than three seasons at a smaller school who then gets second round draft capital as a receiver. Sky Moore is really, really good at football. He is the only ascending player in this pass attack. And I think that the, he's the, the real key to this, this Chiefs, re, re, all these receiving questions. Yes, Kelsey, this year, going to be phenomenal, I think. But in Dynasty, and in terms of range of outcomes, Sky Moore is the one that truly has the ridiculous upside to, to give you a 1,000 yards in this receiving core. I think Kelsey gets there. But in terms of the Juju, Hardman, MVS, Sky Moore has a better chance than all three of them to hit 1,000 yards this season. Woo! I love it. I mean, you 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 did Rashad White. Now you did Sky Moore, Jalen Tolbert. I mean, you're in on all my guys, although you were a little less in on Jalen Tolbert. But enough. You're enough. I mean, anytime I draft Rashad White, I get excited. Every time I've taken Sky Moore, I start getting excited. Um, I, I don't know, man. You know, all these rookies, we've seen it so many times. We've been through this before, whether it's, you know, Nikhil Harry, Jalen Rager, Paris Campbell, Andy Isabella. The list goes on. There's all these guys that we thought maybe had a shot. And, you know, we all look back and go, yeah, I never liked him or him or him. But we all did. But I'll tell you, man, this guy more, I'm getting a little excited. And uh, him being attached to uh, Patrick Mahomes, I think is a, a an extra feather in the cap. You know, I, I was hoping he might see late first round draft capital with um, Patrick Mahomes. But I think I actually prefer it this way because it sort of insulated his value a bit. I think if he goes late first to Patrick Mahomes, he might sneak into the top four in rookie drafts, wide receivers, you know. And But I consistently was getting him late in first round uh, first round rookie drafts. Uh, certainly my, uh, my favorite player last year and late in the first round was Javante. That worked out. I'm really hoping Sky Moore works out because he's been just – all over my my radar this offseason. And I've taken him some in best ball. He goes off at uh, wide receiver 41. Um, I, I suppose his floor is much, much lower than wide receiver 41 because you're right, there could be some veteran deference. You could see, you know, he hardly plays. It's, he's you know, he's a tournament play. Yeah, you, absolutely. You draft him for the tournament because I, I think 12 team, I, I think his ADP is fine. I'm not yeah. excited. 
Fine. But if you're doing like the, the best ball mania or the puppy, you're in a tournament. Yeah. Sky Moore could explode those final few weeks of the year Bingo. and really solidify his role. And we just see that with rookies where rookie yes. receivers, the last seven years have always scored more in the second half of the season as a unit than the first half. Yep. They have more spike weeks in the final four weeks of the season than the other four week chunks that you can section off. The, the, this is the archetype. I think that you really want to be crazy exposed to in these tournaments. And then in dynasty, I think there there's few receivers that can gain so, so much more value than he can. Yeah. Because if he, if he has a good year one, it's like, well, wheels up. We're, yes. we're basically getting the new chiefs receiver one. Yep. And he's got years and years with Mahomes. Yeah, That's super exciting. If he, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the case for sky Moore. We, we, we understand. And, and I preach so much on this pod that it's range of outcomes. We never know who's going to be good as no sure bet. But if we play it out and we say, what if this guy, that's what, that's my Jalen Tolbert take. It's like, if he's good, it's going to be fucking awesome. Same thing with sky Moore. It's like, if he's good, then it's going to be awesome because he's in this Chiefs offense with with Patrick Mahomes. If if he's not good, well, it doesn't matter where the fuck he went, you know. But the upside mm-hmm. play of Sky Moore just has the 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 possibility for him to be a completely dominant, uh, you know, player at his cost. So yeah, that's that's it, man. I love the Sky Moore take. Yeah, I, I think he's just range of outcomes. This this is the kind of guy that you want to buy into. Yeah, the floor might might be low, but. I think with receiver, I've come around to dynasty. I'm now a landing spot snob Yeah. as the offenses are separating themselves more. And then if you're telling me that there's a certainty that he plays four seasons in a pass heavy offense with Patrick Mahomes, it's like with Tolbert, even if he doesn't do well by the advanced metrics and he's getting you like 15% of the team's targets, you can still be startable in fantasy yeah. and that's what you're doing. And for someone that's on a, a worse offense with a worse quarterback, they need to have elite metrics to compete with just a good sky more outcome. So that for me is why the, this, this floor is going to be naturally higher because of that offense and why the ceiling is going to be naturally higher because of that offense. Josh Larky, everybody. Unbelievable show, man. We just fucking went for like, I don't know how long it was. I think it was just under two hours, which is good. We didn't we didn't go over two hours, but we got to call it, man. I know you got other places to do. Uh, I noticed that you have like podcast after podcast and uh, event after event today because everybody wants to talk to you because, well, you just became available. You know, you came off that. Was it, by the way, was it a one hump camel or two hump camel that you were uh, riding across the desert? I'm just curious. It was a dromedary. I don't know what that is because I'm a moron. I don't, I don't know. I actually, I don't know if that's a one or two hump, okay, but it just but sounded it smart to say, yeah. to say totally. the, the species. Yes. I, I, I don't know if that I'll, I'll live look up right now if the drop. Yeah. <laughs> is that the, I don't even know if that's the, no, no, no. Just let, it looks you like know, it's like on, oh, cumulus and serious clouds. You know, like, I don't know which ones are which, but if you're looking up at the sky, go, Oh, those are the cumulus right there. You know, people are like, what the fuck? Really? Yeah. Dromedary yeah. camel is one hump. Bactrian and camel. I didn't know that was a thing. That, those are the two humpers. I feel so like I, a two hump would be hump. more comfortable to ride. I, I I just don't. I'm not a camel expert. You know what? Maybe I chose. Maybe I. Yeah. Do you actually, sit in front of the first hump or behind the first hump if you're riding a one hump camel? I don't want to search something that I might regret. So. <laughs> yes. I'm looking right now. I. Yes. We'll just go with the two hump. I'll just. I'll sit in the middle of them. Yeah. Do you sit on top of the one hump? Like, I don't know. I'm just I, like, I've never, 
you know, mounted a camel in my life. Not once. I didn't even, I've never dreamed of it actually. This is the first time I've really even considered the mechanics of doing this. This is uh, what I'm getting at. I, I don't have any yeah, I'm idea. looking now. Wow. I mean, if someone wants to see something gross, look oh, up no. these baby camels. These uh-huh. things look like shriveled up deers. They oh, look okay. pretty, they're pretty terrifying. Looking. <laughs> so they're if anybody on Twitter things. wants to uh, let us know exactly the mechanics of riding a camel, uh, feel us. free to drop us a note. Just hit us up at uh, at J Larky tweets on Twitter and at Dino Game Theory. Make us smarter about these these the the the, the camels and the humps and how you uh, how you navigate these things in, in an emergency situation crossing the desert with no water. There it is. Thank you. Hey, you're you're awesome. Tell the fine people uh, what you want to tell them, and uh, and we'll sign off here. You can find me on Twitter at JLarkyTweets if you want to learn how to code mm. using R with football data for analytics, that rcodingsite.com. It's the letter R, that rcodingsite.com. I'll be opening up some personalized instruction for the rest of this month. And I will I will be announcing some next steps with my career towards the end of June. So just kind of going into dark mode right now just basically lining up a lot of podcast appearances like this. A lot of people like yourself where I got to catch up with them. I just didn't have a lot of time for this the last couple months. So just doing a lot of this type of podcasting work, uh, talking with a ton of different people that lead either fantasy football teams, sales teams, analytics departments, things like that. This is a big self-improvement in terms of leadership style, setting company culture. These are all things I'm trying to learn because uh, my my next position will be a lot more managerial in nature. So I'm just trying to be the the manager that I would want to work for. So yeah, that that is what this month is. It's a lot of that type of learning, a lot of Harvard Business Review articles. I don't know why they make those things free. There's a lot of good stuff there. So yeah, that, that is know, basically my tune. You know, I I do I do manage a, a team, and I always say I, I I'm better when I'm loved. That's all I tell you. You know, and that's in life. That's anywhere. You know, you always feel better when you're loved. And, uh, you know, and, and you're, 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 that's, that's it, man. Just love up your people. You know I mean? Truly find a way to, to, to spread some love. That's what we try to do on this pod. We love having you. We love our audience. So thank you so much. So on behalf of everybody here at the undroppables on behalf of everybody here at the undrafted on behalf of a still very sad to watch my Boston Celtics dominate and his stupid 76ers lose the greatest producer the land has ever known michael p duncan and on behalf of the great desert wanderer josh larkey i am jax falcone and we are